This episode is brought to you by Zeratech Software Development. Are you a company whose commitment to excellence demands effective software tools? Let the team at Zeratech Software Development help build or enhance your technological systems with mobile, web, and backend solutions. You can find them at zeratech.com. That's X-E-R-A-T-E-C.com. Hey guys, today on the podcast, I sat down and chatted with Ben Gray. Ben is a philosopher. He taught philosophy as a professor for many years. Uh, he has degrees in psychology, philosophy, a master's degree in philosophy. Uh, so we got into a lot of questions and, and chatted about a lot of different things. I really enjoyed this one. Uh, ben is a deep thinker. It was fun to hear him chat, even just get into a lot of different different deep, deep questions. Um, so, but I did want to give you guys a heads up that there is a potential for some of the questions that he did dive into, or we did dive into that are, you know, potentially provocative or, or may, you know, stories that may not fit a younger audience. Uh, so just want to give you guys that heads up. Otherwise enjoy the podcast. Welcome to the obsessed podcast. I'm your host, Logan Herkus. In this podcast, we get to meet and hear from folks who are obsessed with a wide array of interesting endeavors. We dive into some awesome stories and look at the mindsets and the psychology of those who are obsessed. Let's go. Okay. For sure. And sometimes I do the more formal, like, hello, Ben, thanks for coming in. And then let's go. Uh, or okay. like if we are mid conversation, yeah, yeah. sometimes I'll record and we'll just go like that and then find that clean point yeah, yeah. to just start See, it out. It's interesting. I think this is what... Uh, I don't know. There's this fine line, right? And uh, I like the professionalism of things. Okay. But I think one of the one of the appeals, and I think one of the reasons that, because um, it's interesting, you know, I would teach the uh, I teach a three hour evening class, mm-hmm. and I love doing that because that's when I don't know if you do you know the history of Gogibic here? Not really. No, uh, a little bit maybe. It was it's such a cool experience, right? So I'm straight out of grad school, and I have this my first class. I go in there, and there's only like two people younger than me. And it's all, and it was our appreciation class. And it's something that, because my background is in philosophy. I have, uh, I have degrees in psychology and philosophy, and then I went to grad school for philosophy. And I took a class in aesthetics. And aesthetics in philosophy is like the philosophy of art. Okay. And it's this question of like, uh, what, what makes something beautiful? And what even is art? And so when I, when I, was, uh, when I went, because I, I needed a job, and I moved back here from Western. I went to grad school at Western. And, uh, yeah, it was something that, uh, yeah, it was this, it was this group of a bunch of miners because this was back in, I think when I started, it would have been 2005, 2006 okay. around then. And we go at the time, they were just uh, renting out. They'd rent out the high schools, the classrooms, and we, we'd have, and it was when the white pine, I think it's when they first closed down Okay, and there was a partnership at go and I had some of those miners coming from Antonagan, from the White Pine. And I remember the one in particular. And the ability to, because <laughs> I remember him saying, because, you know, there was a, I love those sort of guys too. Like these local, I don't know, I'm trying to think what you would call them. Like just salt of the earth type people. Right? Yeah. And he, uh, he told me, I'm not so sure about all this art stuff. And I remember at the end of class, and he said that, uh, you say, you know, this, this art stuff's not so bad. Yeah. And to be able to like a, talk about art and then a philosophical way of doing art, because that's the way it was art appreciation. And I thought when I, when I teach, it's a personal thing and I want it to be like, cause I'm a philosopher. That's what I've, I was, anyone who's ever known me since I was a, a young kid, 
like you say, what is Ben? He's a philosopher. I'm always thinking. Hmm. It's like I can't shut this off. I've right. never been able to shut it off. It's. Um, I remember I had a friend once even tell me this. He said, uh, um, "So don't you find it strange that you only ever want to just like talk philosophy?" And I said, "I guess, I guess it is kind of odd, you know." Yeah. But there's the neat thing about philosophy is there's a philosophy of everything. Right. Because it's asking questions. It's a way of looking at things. And what I noticed though is when I was teaching, when I tried to do it the way that my professors did it. It just didn't connect with them. Hmm. And so what I started to do is I started to be so informal, but, but still like the formality, because I have all the, I have the education, I love philosophy, I read it all the time, I think about it all the time, and I'd bring that passion into it. But then I would do it in a way, I try to like engage them and tell stories and open up and just in a way be unfiltered, which is a dangerous way of doing things. Sure, sure. And yeah. So the, the, the informality of it, I like that. Right. I like this, the conversational part of it. And uh, yeah. What do you know about philosophy, by the way, anyway? Not much. Uh, yeah. I th- I, it, it, like uh, from a concept, I think I would enjoy it, exploring it. I think yeah. I am a philosopher myself. Everybody is to an extent, right? Um, but I think yeah. I ask a lot of questions and I really try to ask questions about those questions and ask questions yeah. about the premises that go into those questions. Yeah. Uh, thinking a lot about, and, and what I would traditionally have called psychology. Like I think about psychology quite a bit, what makes an individual tick, whatever else, but yeah. I don't know. That's why I kind of want to have yeah. you break down the difference yeah. between if you could philosophy and the, psychology yeah. so that I could even have a better idea and understanding of what it, it is, what I'm engaged in more philosophical mm. or is it more, of a psychological approach. I'm not sure. And, and they're intertwined, I'd assume, right? But. So, you know, what's interesting is when, when philosophy first started, right? Right. You had a, um, it was kind of this, this conflict between two different approaches of how we get answers to things. And you had the poets, and which was like, the, you think of like religion in that way, where people are telling stories, and the stories are giving you truths about sure. what's real and what's not. And I think it's a mistake, because people will look back at... Um, of people antiquity of the ancients and say well they didn't have science that's not true right there and and the way that and you and we almost have this way of thinking about because we're so materialistic now materialistic meaning the um, philosophical materialism because often like philosophers will use terms mm-hmm. that we use colloquially and it's something that uh, so like materialism when i say materialism what's the first thing that comes to your mind right like the desire to purchase goods yeah, yeah and, stuff like that right yeah and and it may lead to that but in philosophical materialism, it's this notion that all that exists is just the material stuff. Okay. And that every truth has to be just within that material stuff. That there's not some other realm, there's not some other like higher or even deeper or foundational. And there's this base assumption that a lot of people have without even asking those philosophical questions, right? Sure. And so when, when philosophy began, it was like pulling this, it was uh, like that question of... Uh, which I think we've all been there. And uh, like, what, what is this? Yeah. What's going on? Like, what, like, who am I? What am I? What is the world about? All those sort of basic philosophical questions. One way is, and that's what I got, that's what I loved about, about talking. When I said when we first started, when Gugubik first started, because I was one of the first teachers there. I was one of the longest ones there. And it's, it was such, it's such a cool place, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, they would have these stories. And these stories had truth to them. Right. You know what I mean? These stories had, and, and there's something where the, the philosopher though steps back and says, but what is that truth? Let's look at detached from that and analyze it just there. And then how do we base that? Like, how do we, how do we justify it? 
how do we know that that's true? Yeah. And then once you start doing that, then you ask questions like, is there other ways of doing it than just the storytelling? Sure. Like I said, we, when we think of these ancients, I don't think they believed that these things were, it's hard to know. It's hard to know. I, it's hard to even me to get in your mindset. Sure. I always think about that where, um, by the way, I'm a tangential thinker. Yeah, and I appreciate it. Me too. <laughs> I can go on any avenue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, we can bring it back. We can go. And I yeah. usually, I'm pretty good at it, tying it, yeah. tying it back into whatever the main theme is here. Yeah. But the, uh, what was the question I just asked you? No, you were talking about uh, ancient ancient people yeah. and hard to know. Mm. Uh, and to get like into your mindset. Sure. I always wondered like if I, if I were able to, for even just a second, right. to like enter in to your consciousness, whatever that would mean, because it's so weird to think about, because for me to even know that I'm in your consciousness, I would have to have some part of me still in there right? to know what that, because otherwise I might just get lost into it. Yeah. But if I could somehow have a memory of that, like a memory of being you, yeah. and I think the world would look so different. You think so? And is that different from every person to every person you're saying, or what do you mean? The, because uh, I don't know if you've had this yourself, where you've gone through a drastic change, some something like something happens where your whole world suddenly looks different. Sure. Yeah. Like this moment of, it, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be a trauma thing. Often people think of maybe trauma in that regard, mm -hmm. but it could be something positive. It could be something. Well, you think about like the, this is a good one. I think the uh, metaphor for this, because I, I think everyone's gone through this where there's a moment where uh, you're not interested at all in the opposite sex. You have no romantic interest and it doesn't even make sense. You know, you see, uh, you see your parents or you see older teenagers and it seems so gross. Why would they, you, you know? That right. But then when, it, when you cross over, when, you know, when you're, when you're during puberty and the hormones get released and now you're, uh, you're seen and the world just suddenly is so different. Like to, to pass that, to go through that threshold of being non-romantic to suddenly seeing romantic love. And then those people though that, that aren't in that situation, like you seem bizarre, right? You probably, I don't know if you, if you got interested in girls sooner than friends or you were kind of, do you remember any of, do you remember any of that stuff? No, I remember it happening, right? But yeah. I don't remember the timelines, right? Okay. Of me yeah, yeah. versus friends, right? I remember having friends that were into girls and didn't make any sense. Sure, sure. <laughs> it's a whole different world. Right. And then you suddenly enter that new world, right? And you can even think like, the world was so different to me. No, imagine, and that's you're still to some degree the same person, or are you? I don't know. That's sure. another question that a philosopher would ask. Which you you mentioned asking questions, and it's one of these things that philosophers are really bad. We're bad at giving answers. Okay. We're really good at asking questions. Sure. But there's some. Do you know anything about uh, about Zen Buddhism? Mm, maybe a little bit. Uh, one of the books I recently read talked, or a couple of the books I think talked about Buddhism. So maybe uh, you could get into it probably and enlighten me a lot more. There's yeah. these. Uh, I think you say Cohen. I'm trying to think. I, I've just, you know, there's things you read and you don't talk about. Sure. I think, you know, does this ring a bell where there's certain things, there's certain questions you ask, like what is the sound of one hand clapping? Sure. And it's not supposed to have an answer. I mean, you could do, there was actually, a, there was a funny Simpsons episode I remember from when I was young where they were doing this sort of thing as meditation. And then Bart Simpson said, oh, I know the sound of one hand clapping. And then he just starts clapping with, you know, folding his hand. Yeah. And, uh, but the, the point is like clapping like this, what sound does it make? And the point is not to come to an answer, but try to come an answer. And in the process of trying to find an answer, it's a weird thing. It's, it's the same thing where, um, like you said, like before we started recording, you were talking about your passion for hunting. Mm -hmm. 
And in trying to like, you're, you're pursuing something. In the pursuit, you realize how much you're growing in pursuing. Right. And so even though you may not come to a, the end that you were trying to get at, there may not be an answer for you, but in trying to find the answer, you're growing and you're discovering actually, and this is the weird thing about philosophy, is you, you, whatever gets you into it. And like you said, everyone is a philosopher to some degree because everyone has one thing, I think, where they're not sure about or they want to know more about or they, they're, there's something in their life and there's moments and then as you start thinking about it and the more you do it, the more questions come up. Sure. There's new, there's new avenues to explore. There's new paths to go down. Right. There's new. And as you're doing that, you're becoming, and you'll see it. You'll just see this, this, uh, this thoughtfulness that comes over you. Mm-hmm. And there's a, it's a weird thing. I don't know. I, I think that, and I, I assume you would agree. I mean, just uh, that most people could be more philosophical. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> right? You know what I mean? Like, uh, whatever that means, we haven't defined it yet. And this is the right. weird thing about philosophy. I remember when I was in grad school, I was at Meyer down in Kalamazoo. And I was, uh, there's this woman in front of me and I talked to everyone. Yeah. And so I, I asked her, uh, or I just said something. I made some funny comment about, I don't know, I like to say stupid things and some bad dad joke. But I had dad jokes before I was a dad. And she, uh, she said, oh, what do you do? And I said, I'm a grad student in philosophy. She says, what is philosophy? And I was like, and I stopped and I said, oh no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ask me this because this is gonna be like a one, I said, do you want an hour conversation? And she was laughing, you know? Yeah. And I said, actually, it's one of those neat things because that is like the one of the base questions of philosophy is what is philosophy? You don't do that with other subject matters. Well, you'll have it sure. where you, you enter a chemistry class and the chemistry professor will tell you, this is the definition of chemistry, and then you move on. You don't focus on what is chemistry, what is the point of chemistry, what's, but philosophy, you, that becomes, in some sense, the class. Sure, sure. And then you just keep going on, and you, you're like on this path, and it's something that, yeah, uh, it's a weird thing. I remember, and I would, I would go hard on the first class. Like I know some, some professors, when they first start teaching like the first day is this sort of thing like well i'll give you the syllabus and we'll kind of then let you out i wanted to be no we're going to go deep in this and i'm we're going to start out i'm just going to start going and you're going to be on my journey with me here we're going to be on a journey together sure and i don't know where this is going to go all i know is that i i read philosophy all the time i think philosophy all the time i have degrees in philosophy i'm a philosopher and so we're just going to go with this yeah but i want you to know that this is going to be intense (laughs) yeah please drop out if you don't like this, right? Because once you're in this, it's you're in it, and it's a weird thing because I've had students now, because you know, I think I said I was trying to think back the first class, probably 2005, 2006, and I still have students now that will go for walks and talk philosophy. Hmm. Like there's this there's a bond when people do philosophy together too. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. There's a like I would do I would have these three hour lectures, um, and. I'd have students that would want to stay after. And sometimes we talk for another hour. Right. Because one, <laughs> it's a bizarre, weird. Yeah. Uh, and so to define what it is, this is what you would normally say, right? So Philo, have you, you've, you've heard, do you know what Philo, do you know any of the. Oh. No, I don't know if I do. No. So. Okay. So, so Philo means love. Okay. So like Philadelphia, Philo. Sure. The city of love. Right. And, uh, I think Delphia's brother, right? That's a city of brother. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> and then yeah. Sophia is wisdom. Okay. 
Now, what's interesting about wisdom, because when you leave a chemistry class, not that I'm picking on chemistry, I'm just using that's the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah. But you think about a chemistry class, you don't leave a chemistry class being more wise necessarily. You leave it being more knowledgeable about chemistry. Mm-hmm. And in most subject matters that you study, you're trying to acquire knowledge, but not wisdom. Right. Yet what is, isn't wisdom, like if you think about what's the point of, well, that's a philosophical question, but why, why do anything? Why know anything? Why, what's the importance of knowing chemistry? And that's where philosophy comes in, is this idea that the question of how should you use your knowledge and what, and how should you, even like, because every bit of knowledge that you have to get is take some time. It takes some time to acquire. What kind of knowledge should you try to get you? What, what's important to know and what's not important to know? Because we all have limited time. We have limited resources and these questions. And what is it to be now a good person? How much knowledge? Because you could imagine someone who has, in fact, if you, an immoral person who has a bunch of knowledge, that's a dangerous person. Sure. Right. I mean, you don't, if you knew someone was an evil person, perhaps, um, perhaps someone, a, a psychopath, right. Who doesn't have any conscience and, and you give them a bunch of knowledge. You've just made someone who we got to be really careful of, mm-hmm. but wisdom, wisdom seems to contain in that. I love that word. I actually wish, although I like the philosophy, such a, it's a beautiful word, isn't it? Like it's a, mm-hmm. yeah. but it's almost like the study of wisdom. If that would have been, you know, if we would have used it, right. Cause it's interesting. Same thing. Cause, uh, um, uh, my wife's a doctor. And so she, uh, it's funny. Cause I ask her those Latin terms. Yeah. So these sicknesses and I'll say like, uh, I'll say, well, what does that actually, like, what does that mean? Cause it sounds so, it, you know, make, it gives it that, that air of, of science that, cause it's, it's ambiguous. It's somewhat the ambiguity of it, the complexity of it, the words I'm trying to think of a, like, uh, can you think of what's the first medical word that comes to mind? Medical term. Yeah. Uh, there's all kinds of, we just talked about Dr. Sean McBride, anesthesiologist, right? Yeah. Or whatever yeah. it might be. And even over like anesthesiology um, or like, uh, I have epiderm something. I don't know. There's all mm-hmm. these terms. And, uh, when I ask, what does that mean? It just means like pain in stomach. Sure. <laughs> or like a skin bump. Yeah. You know, right. when you actually look at the root of the Latin and, and so I, I do, I love that idea of like, what do you do? I love wisdom. I'm yeah. a wisdom lover. Okay. I'm a lover of wisdom. And that's what to be a philosopher means. I love wisdom. Okay. And I think, cause it's interesting when you think about, yeah, cause I know you've, uh, right. This is what you do. You interview people who are passionate about something. Yeah. And I think this is what happens when you find that thing. Like I remember when I first took a philosophy class, it was at Northern. Yeah. And when these questions, when these questions started being asked, I thought I'm home. Hmm. <laughs> like I, this is wow. You know, like <laughs> other people, this is what other people do too. Like I, I, I thought I was somewhat alone when this, like I just always, you know, and I was like, this is exactly the sort of stuff. And it was just right away. Yeah. Uh, let's I do want to actually break okay, down do you yeah, mind yeah. if I cut you off no so, I <laughs> so appreci- what did I do so far what did I did I contain one coherent I was trying to yeah you asked right. what is philosophy and the, yeah there I went <laughs> yeah so I, I I really enjoy that kind of a conversation right like asking yeah, yeah, the questions yeah, yeah. and asking the question about the question and should we have even asked the question the whole bit right yeah yeah uh, but kind of what I want to do is break down where that started from you mm. uh, but then 
you asked me about what do I know about philosophy and I don't know that I know yeah. a lot about it, but I'm curious, are yeah. you able to put like, and I know you said it's impossible to do, you need an hour to do it, but are you able to define psychology versus oh, philosophy? Yeah, How question. do they compare? What are they, what is the difference? Now, what's interesting about philosophy, right? And you had to, it was called natural philosophy. Cause now I'll, I'll skip over the initial beginning of the, sure. so we'll get back to Socrates and Plato. I hope, sure. I hope we get back to Socrates and Plato <laughs> and Aristotle and, yeah. and the ancients and, this episode is also brought to you by our friends at Breakwater Federal Credit Union in Houghton, Michigan. Banking with a credit union is ideal because there are less service fees and lower loan interest rates than a regular bank. Plus, they are local and staffed by our family and friends. New members can use the coupon code OBSESSED when they come to open an account and receive $50 in their account. This coupon code expires March 31st, 2023. If you're looking for a financial institution that puts you and your financial health first, be sure to check out Breakwater Federal Credit Union. Forrester Research interviewed 206 senior technology leaders in major organizations responsible for software development sourcing. 63% said their software development service partners do not have a full understanding of their end customer. If you're dead serious about moving faster and getting more done, Zeratech Software Development can help you move forward with confidence. Let the team at Zeratech Software Development help solve your problems with mobile, web, and backend solutions. As they align with their clients, they use a proven method to understand the scope of the problem and help demystify the steps to make it go away. They will deliver the software solution you need, and they do it with the integrity that you'd expect from a family-owned business in the heartland of America. Schedule a call with the team at Zeratech today at zeratech.com. That's X-E-R-A-T-E-C.com. But when, uh, when you started having formal study, it was called, and this is now you already had, the Greeks have established it. And the ancient philosophers had, you know, they were the ones that first start the university. Like universities were philosophy, mm -hmm. which is a shame when they're, I can't imagine because there's some colleges that don't have philosophy. How? Right. The college is philosophy. That's the whole point of it was it started as a philosophical exercise of discussion. Yeah. And when you had people start to study, and so the formal study, when these things started becoming a formal study, they're called natural philosophy. So all the sciences were called natural philosophy. And slowly, though, what happened is philosophy started losing these fields as they got specialized. Mm -hmm. So philosophy was like this very broad thing where if you wanted to know, like, in fact, one of the uh, one of my favorite philosophers, Immanuel Kant, he uh, he wrote things about uh, um, about um, astronomy is astronomy, right? Astronomy. Mm -hmm. Which one's the, that's the right one, right? The other one is the one at the astrology is like okay the, i always get those terms yeah, mixed up yeah okay yeah. and so if you want to know some astronomy like he would and that's what philosophers would do so he wrote things on vision he had papers on on perception of light and he had papers on planetary motion he had papers on so a philosopher is someone who tried to acquire to be wise had tried to acquire knowledge about everything hmm. and what eventually happened though is as things specialized and as fields you needed more and more expertise to and again like you have limited resources you start focusing on certain things yeah. is eventually subject matter started breaking off from philosophy so each one became its own separate entity then mm -hmm. and so you had like mathematics broke off then physics and chemistry etc and psychology was the last one hmm. so you have you have philosophers like frederick nietzsche who heavily influenced freud and he would call himself a psychologist, but there was no field of psychology. Mm -hmm. That just meant I'm a psychological philosopher. Okay. And I don't know if these two fields should be separate. I, uh, cause I have, I have degrees in both psychology and philosophy. I'm right. interested in both. Yeah. And when I, when I read psychology, I don't understand why it's not philosophy. Right. I really don't. 
because maybe in the sense that when it's when it's more applied but even then like think about someone who comes in as a counselor right so someone comes in and they're depressed and as soon as they start talking and you say and they start talking about the problems they're going to start talking they're going to use philosophical statements mm-hmm. and you're having now a philosophical conversation right like think about like my my life feels meaningless that's a philosophical statement yeah and even this and i i did i i i think the difference would be right is that philosophers because science developed from philosophy mm-hmm. and it's an interesting thing about um skepticism now again this is one of those terms that in in normal conversational talk right skepticism means you're kind of questioning things a little bit but in philosophy skepticism is the very question of of um, any knowledge sure like think about things that you you know for certain is there something you know for certain like i said what do you know for certain yeah like i love my family uh, I, I really enjoy mule deer hunting um I mean, I could go on, right? These different mm. facts. I live in the UP. We're mm. in the United States, stuff like that. Very factual things. Um, I could go into things I know for certain, but then I would probably could question them in this context or in this setting of what's important to you, values, stuff like that, right? How about even, do you know, are you sure that your family exists? Sure, yeah. I mean, you make me second guess it, but <laughs> I would say, yeah, for sure, right? So no, it seems like one of these things where the question is, what does it mean for your family to exist? Right. Now, you like this idea of um, you're married, you have a wife, right? Yep. And so think about, do you ever actually see your wife? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Now, when you see her, right, you're seeing her, you're using, again, I'll, I'll assume a lot of science here. Mm-hmm. And it's an interesting thing because this is what, this is what kind of uh, philosophy which spawns science and it kind of it, it attacks itself. That's the interesting thing about about Western. And I think as a culture, we're kind of going through this. We're feeling that because a scientific philosophical culture, which is what philosophy is kind of the history of Western civilization too, as you go through it, it has this sort of, uh, it cycles back on itself and it's constantly, the skepticism is always there. So when you think about it, like you're using your senses and you're getting data from her. So the light, the light is reflecting off of her and you're getting, depending on, right, she might look different depending on the light and all that sort of stuff. But then it's entering into your brain. Now you're getting just data. Mm-hmm. That's not her though, right? Sure. The data's not her. All that, you're getting, you're, getting the, you're getting the light waves and you're getting the sound waves and all these things in your brain now is taking that stuff and it's piecing together something, right? Mm-hmm. And it's making your wife out of that data. Sure. Now what you're seeing though is because your brain is, that's you, you're, and a lot of that subconscious, you don't even know what's happening, right? And when it's doing that, it's piecing together this person who is your wife to you. And you see her then, and you think you're seeing her. But what you're seeing instead is an image within your, whatever the mind might be. Now we're gonna assume there's a mind here. Sure. So now you're seeing an image of her in your mind. And it's not her you're seeing though, it's the image you're seeing. You can never actually see her because you can't escape your own sense, sensory apparatus. You can't escape your mind. Right. And everything is, is not only, and it depends, right? Like I said, if you change the light, she's going to look differently. But if you change your perception, it's an interesting thing because everyone who's ever gone through a breakup has felt this, where someone looks so amazing and perfect 
and there's just something about them and you see them a certain way and then you find out perhaps they're cheating on you sure or whatever the breakup might be Mm -hmm. and it can turn like that and suddenly they just look so different Mm -hmm. same person but now the appearance is just absolutely different right how is that possible right yeah and the reason why is because you're you're you only your perception is of is of what's in your mind and not of the external world so the question is like does your family exist what does it mean what does it mean like the family to you your family to me what do you mean by family right and what do you mean by these people can you ever actually get to know your wife or you're always just seeing your perceptions you're only just experiencing your perceptions of your wife is there ever any way to actually get to the thing itself or we always just have this filter this uh, the way I used to do in class is I call it the Ben taint like there I have this like no matter what I do I can't get rid of that I wherever I go Ben is with me right and everything I see I'm seeing it as so I'm looking right now I'm looking at you but I'm looking at you from my perspective mm-hmm. and everything about you is giving me and I it's something that um it's a um one of the one of the stories I used to use for this when uh it was between, uh, yeah, it was between uh, my undergrad and grad school. I, uh, I worked in, with AmeriCorps. I worked at the alternative school, Bridge, which um, is, it doesn't exist anymore. I think Horizon is the only local one. But it was a really cool place because I, I just needed a job, and I was, I was substitute teaching. And I didn't, I didn't know anything about Bridge. And do you, remember, do you, ever, do you ever hear about the alternative school? It rings a bell. I'm not sure. Uh, but anyways, go on. Yeah. yeah. And so we were... Uh, yeah. I don't know why I asked you that. It just disrupted yeah. my thought here process. Yeah. But I was substitute teaching and there was a, it was really hot and one of the students opened the window and a bee came in. And I remember thinking, I, I was watching this happen because it was so beautiful and perfect and everything about it. I don't know why. There are certain moments like that, you know. Mm-hmm. And this, this bee came in and a lot of students were freaking out and this one student was so calm and he came over he picked a bee up with his hand and he said, just a bee. Right. And then he took it out the window, you know? Hmm. And I remember I was explaining to them this idea. I said, isn't it interesting how it caused such terror to certain people? And then to him, he stayed calm. And I was doing some philosophy with them. And right at that moment, like these students, and I've always been drawn to that, like these, these people who struggle with life. Sure. Often they struggle with life because they struggle with the philosophical things and they're interested. They're interested in philosophy. Mm-hmm. And the reason I bring that up is that was that it was a moment like I need to be here. And I don't. And that's the question, too. I'm I'm open to like you. Like, it's interesting when I asked. I said, what do you know for sure? Yeah. You went to psychological things. Mm-hmm. And the psychological things, the things that are subjective to us, we definitely like like th- that is us. Right. Now, your wife, when you view your wife, or the bee, when you view the bumblebee, it's, uh, it's outside of us, right? Even though we're interpreted inside, but we don't know because there's like that something else, you know? Yeah. And there was that thing, and it's something, I'm, maybe this is why I've pursued philosophy so much, is I don't know what that is. Okay. And I want to know. Maybe you can't know. Yeah. That inner knowledge, like how do you just know sometimes? Yeah. Like I knew I needed to teach there. And I remember I asked the principal, um, 
I said, hey, I want to teach you. What should I do? And she said, apply to AmeriCorps. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it was like, I just knew. Right. You know, I just knew. Yeah. And I remember I was working, because um, I did next year I taught there. It was, it was so, yeah. Because I, um, I have a minor in mathematics, too. I, I was <laughs> thinking about being a math teacher. I love, I love so many things. But yeah. Uh, are you a math person? I went to tech for two years for math. Okay, my, there you go. You yeah. know, yeah. And I was going to be a math teacher, but oh, I had all thing. my interests in business and sales and working with people. And I said, I need to pursue that passion. So it sounds like you had a pretty strong alignment of those two worlds. But yeah. And I had a student who was uh, the state of Michigan, right? They have, uh, they're one of those states. There's, I don't know how many other ones there are, but I know Michigan's one of the few where there's, which is nice because. The last couple of years, I've been homeschooling my daughter, and it gives you a freedom to kind of do whatever because there's no regulations in Michigan. Mm -hmm. You don't have to follow any guidelines, and it gives a complete freedom. But it also then um, parents who neglect that, and they don't have they can. I mean, there are there is a philosophy of unschooling. I'm right. not so sure about. It. I don't know much about it. Yeah. But this wasn't that. And I had a student. I won't use details because I don't want you know anyone mm -hmm. to know who. But this was a student who she. Uh, had no math background sure. just very basic rudimentary and is in high school and the alternative school had to actually follow the same guidelines as the other high schools so we had to get the students up to algebra too and it was a really neat experience because i got to because again i love philosophy this is why i think philosophy is so cool mm -hmm. and it's one of the reasons i think that uh because I've, I've done a lot of tutoring with mathematics i like to do it for free too but I, it's not like the i don't like to do like the like the everyday sort of stuff i like to get them to understand what's going on because like a philosopher is always asking those questions, like what's going on here? Why? Mm -hmm. And you're th and because there's always those on one more question, usually you get where someone is confused about something. You know why? Because mm -hmm. you asked yourself a question enough to get confused about that thing. Right. And so when I did mathematics, I would always, and I had I actually had a professor at Northern. I I think his name was uh, I think it was Doctor Falk. I think F A L K. And he used to, it was funny, he had a st stereotypical, perfect appearance. He had the beard, and then he had the little ponytail in the back, gray hair, balding, but still kept the ponytail, you mm -hmm. know, hippie sort of guy. And I had him in linear algebra, and he would get so excited, and he would, he would make us write essays on all the problems. Hmm. So we didn't just do, like, the, the matrices and, you know, the basic, which is what a, I mean, a computer can do that. Mm-hmm. But he actually wanted us to understand what was happening philosophically in the mathematical either equation problem, why we're doing it, what's going on. And I remember him jumping on the room talking about vectors. Here's a vector. There's a, you know. And what he would do is he would allow us to do, he'd say, I love, I love talking mathematics if any of you guys are interested. Not many people were. I was one of them, though. Yeah. And he said, but I go for walks and he would always eat french fries. Huh. <laughs> he, would, he, would, he was one of these weird eccentrics. And I started doing that, by the way. Yeah, well, anyway, I'll, I'll continue the story. Because we, we'd walk, and he would just eat French fries, and he'd, like, like uh, almost manically just be eating French fries and talking the philosophy of math. And we would do that. And I actually, that's one of the things I try to continue now with, with old students of mine is, let's go for walks and talk philosophy. I'm always open to that. Mm -hmm. Like, I always want to talk philosophy. And he was that sort of way. And so when I was working with this girl, I was able to do that. Because of, because, I think because of that philosophical mind... I can't always, I'm not saying like I can always figure out why someone's struggling. Sure. But it's pretty neat to be able to get someone from like no base knowledge mm -hmm. to pass algebra two. Right. In one year, it's really cool. Yeah. But the thing about when I first approached her, and this is what stands out, and this is the idea of like perception, to get back to that, is as I was, uh, when I first approached her, I'm not tall, but I'm wide. I'm like as wide as I am tall. I'm a big guy. And I got, you know, and, and, and it's just men, right? Because it's just like when an abused dog, 
usually they're afraid of the man. Mm-hmm. It's usually because males, I mean, when it comes to like minor violence, uh, men and women are similar, but like the major violence, it's usually the man. It mm-hmm. just is. And, and it occurred to me very quickly because when I initially went to help her and to, with her mathematics, I stood next to her and she would just, I could feel her body language freeze. Hmm. And it, it very quickly occurred to me that it was, I was intimidated. There was something that, that like standing over it's sad. And, but I mean, there's, you know, the world is, mm-hmm. yeah, the world's a, a beautiful place, but it's also a bad place. And, sure. And, uh, and so whatever she went through, right. I'm not going to go to, cause I don't want to def- uh, anyone to identify. And what I started to do then is I started to squat down. I know some teachers do that. Maybe they just intuitively do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But then she would open up and I would, I spent a good deal of time just thinking, how is she perceiving me? Right. Because, and you think about like how often we don't do that. Yeah. How often, you know, we, we get upset. Like why I, I'm not a threat. No, no. But that's how you're viewed. Mm-hmm. There's no way you're not going to have, it's, it's like the, uh, again, with your wife, right? You see your wife. There's no way you're not going to have, because you've had so many experiences with her. I can't tell you just to get rid of some of those things. You can. Mm-hmm. They've been, again, there's something in psychology where I love uh, um, behaviorism, where there's associations made. And when you make those associations, they're really hard to break. And you actually can't see beyond them to some degree. Hmm. You can eventually, right? And then you start to, and that's what, that's what psychology is all about. Counseling is all about, is working on these things. And that's why, again, I don't know if, why I wanna, if I want to separate them or not. Sure. Because it's almost like you have to do philosophy to work at the psychological issues. Right. right. Or even to think about yourself. And what's the point of knowing any psychology is to do this kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so same thing where, like, do I, to most students, I was not a threat. Because I'm, I'm, I don't seem like I am. I think I'm a pretty affable, kind of goofy, a little bit goofy guy. You mm-hmm. know? And I like, and I, I approach people usually. And, but to her, I was. And so the way, I, I'm always thinking, like, imagine it for a second, how bizarre that must be. To be able to get into her mind, to get into her perception, and to see me the way that she saw me for just, you know, yeah. what, 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 I mean, what, what did she see? What did she feel? Because it's all tied in. Mm-hmm. We don't just, uh, it's, it's actually one of the downsides um, to cameras. Sure. Or to video. I don't know if you've ever done this, where you try, so there's some really cool thing with your kid that's going on, and you want to record it, and so you pull out your phone. For one thing, it changes things anyway, mm-hmm. right? It's when you take out a phone, it just changes things. But you uh, you pull it out and then you record it and then you watch it later and it's like, no, that's not what it was. Mm-hmm. Because it's not capturing the way that you actually experience it. It's just capturing the lights and all that sort of stuff. Now, you're still seeing that person and so you're still having... It's not like you can objectively suddenly see it. You're still seeing the, the, the video through your... Um, like I'm still seeing it through my Bentane, through my Ben lens. Sure. I'm still do- seeing it through my own perception. So I am going to get some of that and I'm going to go, my memory is re- recalling. Mm-hmm. And of course my memory is going to get fused into that video too. Right. right. So no two people are going to see the same video even. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but, it, but, he, but if you think about looking at it and you've had that experience where like, no, that that's not what ha- it, there was more to it because what happens is our perception of what is real is not just the lights bouncing off of us. Right, it is the perception of us, and we don't. I don't think we'd want to get rid of that mm-hmm. by any means, you know. And so this is the question. Like I, I mentioned, skepticism. And the question is, so you would would you would you go with me to that degree? To what degree? This idea that we can't escape our perception. Sure. Yeah. I, I think I the the question of can you see your wife, right? Mm-hmm. 
then I go back to the definition of what's seeing, right? You said it's the eye, it's the brain, whatever else, like that is the definition of seeing potentially. So you are seeing it by the definition of what vision is and what your eyes are and how that all works, but maybe in a different definition for you for what seeing is. Well, the question would be, um, is there actually a wife out there? And how do you know? Sure. Do you know there's a wife out there? Yeah. Uh, I would say yes. I would entertain the fact that there is not that like it's some matrix or something like that. Right. But, I, I don't know that there's, I don't know. Cause you said there's growth in exploring the question and never getting mm. to the answer. Right. But to me, that's like in my current mindset, my yeah. current view, that's so far removed from, from anything that I mm. would entertain at the current moment that I don't find the value in it necessarily. Uh, I, I don't mean that in a crude way. Yeah, I yeah. just mean that in yeah, the yeah. fact that like I would enjoy exploring these, the, the certain topics, but like, is my wife real yeah, or is yeah. my wife not real? Doesn't engage me. It's a, okay, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. So, so what happened is like you talked about the matrix thing, yeah. right? Yeah. And so, if you if you think of the 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 philosopher that that's kind of based in Descartes, you have you heard of the name Descartes? I don't know if I have. Yeah. So he was a, he was a French philosopher, and again, this is when philosophers, again, lovers of wisdom, were trying to they they were such broad thinkers, and they were trying to find knowledge about the whole world. Mm-hmm. And he's actually one of the founders of science. And this is what's so interesting about this sort of question. Sure. Is, uh, and a lot of philosophers are like this, right? He was someone who, uh, he remained, there's, there's just a lot of, a lot, it seems like a lot of depressed men. <laughs> a lot of sure. history of it. Right. And so there's these, uh, he's, uh, he's laying in bed and he's sitting there and he, his, his writing is beautiful. If anyone has a chance, look up, uh, um, it's spelled, um, D-E-S-C-A-R-T-E-S. It's French. So there's all these extra letters. Mm-hmm. It's Descartes. You know, like, yeah. In fact, I think the T might even be a little bit silent, like Descartes. I don't know. Sure. Uh, it's spelled like desecrates or, you know. But, yeah. Yeah. And his writing is so, because he, he writes that sort of way. He tells you what's going on and then he explores these ideas. Mm-hmm. And he talks about, he goes through all the ways, kind of what I just did, yeah. where your senses can deceive you and you're, and you're not even sure, like, is there something out there? And the one he uses, he talks about how the possibility that we're dreaming and he goes through and he says, how can you know we're not dreaming? Sure. And like you said, I don't know, you don't know if that engages you or not. Part yeah. of the reason that this engaged me so much, then I'll get to all this led to science, is I have, uh, um, I ha- I've, I've had it my whole life. I've had uh, um, like a very lucid dreaming with sleep paralysis. Okay. Do you know anything about sleep paralysis? Uh, like you, you're stuck in sleep and you have some lucid dreams. You're saying like you physically have very lucid dreams and then you can't wake up kind of deal in the middle of those dreams or what do you mean? Yeah, so exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what happens because people with the opposite opposite issue, where their body doesn't paralyze, they're the ones who will do the sleepwalking. They'll act things out. They'll act their dreams out. But the brain has a way of like we're not exactly sure what dreaming is. What's the purpose? But there seems to be something about you're just processing and, and things are. You know, and then mm-hmm. there's also maybe something you have to work through. Who knows, right? We don't know exactly sure. what dreams are for. We just know there's brain activity. But that brain activity, it seems it seems important. Would cause. Um, the rest of your body to, to act out too, unless your body was paralyzed. So the brain sends a signal to paralyze the body. And so then you just lay there stiff, even though you're going through all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Every now and then you'll, you'll feel that break where if you're falling, I don't know if you've had that dream mm-hmm. where you fall and then you jolt in your body. Actually, it's, it's like the fear is too much and it jumps you awake. Yeah. Yeah. And so what I would have is I would, I would st- I would wake up. So you have all those little moments at night where you wake up and you're a little bit uncomfortable. So you have to move. I would have that. I wake up and try it, but I couldn't move. Hmm. I'd be just completely paralyzed in that situation. Weird. And so I would be awake and 
I'd, I, I, it was like this panic because you're stuck, you're stuck in your body. Yeah. And what happens though is because in those moments, you're just kind of awake. Sure. And because you need to be just awake enough to roll over, whatever that thing that, you know, you mm-hmm. know what I'm talking about. You just have yeah. these little moments at night. Some, yeah. Usually you forget about them. You don't remember them. Yeah. And, but I would go back into sleep. And I would think I was awake still though. Okay. And so what would happen is I would suddenly, I'd be frozen and then I think I'm awake. And then I would, I'd actually get up and I couldn't tell the difference. Sure. It was so lucid. Yeah. And I would get up and I would actually go about my, I would do like normal things. I'd even go teach a class. Hmm. <laughs> I would go through like the day felt long. It was really weird. You know, this odd sort of situation. And then all of a sudden I would, uh, I'd be it almost like, it was almost like this vacuum thing, like, <sighs> and suddenly I'd be back into my body. Yeah. And then I would, I would be laying there and I think, Oh no, that was all just a dream. Right. <laughs> that was a dream. Yeah. No. And then I'd, I couldn't move again. And I'd, I'd try to move and I'd be paralyzed in that. Huh. And then I'd finally break free and I would go do, and it would be a dream again. <laughs> I'd get sucked back into the, and finally I'd, I'd freeze. And then I wouldn't know. And I'd be asking these questions like, uh, now is this real for sure? Right. I, can, I don't know. Like, I'm not sure if this is a dream or if this is real. And this is the thing that plagued. And so I don't know. I, I assume Descartes had something similar because he mm-hmm. talks about laying in bed a lot. So I wonder if maybe it's just someone who, maybe it's these people who have these psychological issues right. or these just weird sort of, I don't know what you'd even call it. Some kind of yeah. ailment. I don't know. I guess you'd say sure. a sleep disturbance, you know? Mm-hmm. And then it, it, it is a weird question to ask. Like, is this a dream or not? Right. And although obviously there's the movie matrix and there's a lot of this sort of stuff like that. Yeah. But what, what Descartes did is that became his primary point of his philosophy by the way he also he's the uh, he's the uh, discoverer of linear algebra sure he's called uh, he's called Cartesian geometry hmm. and all that sort of stuff right he's <laughs> the guy is just fucking well I'm sorry for cursing yeah. he's a genius sure uh, you know these uh, these uh, uh, yeah but anyway he uh, so the way he the way he realized is that you have to and this is where science came from is because he was so skeptical of our perceptions because he kept saying, well, it could be a dream. We have to make sure. Is he developed a method? And he has, one of his books is called The Discourse of Method. And it's the beginning of the scientific method. Hmm. So the scientific method came out of a philosopher who couldn't figure out if we're dreaming or not. Sure. And trying to find a solution to that issue. Yeah. And out of that comes all of this. Right. <laughs> it's crazy to think about. Is these weird philosophical, you know, th- these weird questions. Mm-hmm. And it guided him to this point of, because we have to be so skeptical of our perceptions, because it seems obvious to us maybe that of course, like a scientific method, no, that's a really difficult thing. Cause you're telling people don't trust your senses right. and run them through a rigorous thing and make sure they're repeatable that other people have to run through this rigorous thing. And then you possibly, you can know knowledge. And even then we don't know, we don't call it, it's not definite knowledge. There mm. never is this sort of definite knowledge in science. That is so different than the way I think we naturally think of our perceptions where we say, no, I'm the table's here. I'm experiencing the table. Right. 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 So, and, or I'm experiencing my wife. I, I know, who, you know, uh, and that is, that is by the way, um, the reason I bring up the, the, the wife and the relationship thing is often that's when it becomes the most stark. Cause you do know, like I said, when somebody there's a breakup, it is interesting how like your whole life can suddenly felt like a dream. Mm-hmm. Sure. Like all of a sudden you thought I knew what my life was. 
And now I'll, that seems like it's not real anymore. Yeah. And that's what I'm talking that, That's where like asking those sort of questions and asking the question of what is, what is reality? What does it mean for something to exist? Like do your, hmm. yeah, he, uh, there's a, there's a, there's a, um, a metaphor I, I like to use and I, I started to use it in all my classes and it was, uh, it was, um, it was Plato's, uh, well, see the thing about Plato is we have, we have Plato's works still. I don't know if you've ever read Plato. I don't, never read it. Uh, of course, heard the name, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. No, never read it. Yeah. And it used to be, it's interesting how, cause I remember talking about this with my grandma and, oh, I'm sorry. I'm moving that. I don't know. Yeah, but she, uh, she was talking about how she had to read Plato's Republic. Cause that, have you heard of Plato's Republic? Is that the one? No. Okay. Not even yeah, that. Yeah. No. And, but in, in his Republic, he has this section on, he uses an allegory of the cave. So you can imagine, and again, there's these thought experiments. What thought experiments are in philosophy is just like the dream thing. Sure. Like you said, that doesn't engage me. Yeah. And the point of it though, is the exercise of doing it. Right. And right. so you come up with these sort of ridiculous, some odd situations and the, your first instinct is to say, well, that's ridiculous. And you come up with, you nitpick and say, wow, well, this, what about this? What about this? Mm-hmm. Is to kind of suspend that a little bit. Right. And just kind of go with the thought experiment and see where it leads. Sure. And see then looking back, if it looks anything like life or if it, it makes you think differently about life. Yeah. So that's what this is. It's a, it's, it's a thought experiment. Sure. No, and I can, I can appreciate that. And it was, I don't think I worded that the right way. Like it doesn't engage me, but like it's uh no, I love that. There was no, cause that's, yeah, it's yeah. some stupid. It's like a, it's like some, uh, it's like some freshman pothead, right? <laughs> like, you're yeah. like, oh, what's real, man? Right. Yeah, I know, right? right. That's what kind of. Yeah, no, I no. can tell you're all about it. Like you yeah. appreciate it. It's yeah, an yeah. absolutely serious question. And again, the the act of going there, maybe I'm scared of the answers I'd find. You know what I mean? Or the the questions I'd have to ask myself. Right? I don't even know if that's that's the case, but um, I just think it's so far removed from what my current reality is. It's just hard to even get to that place. Mm. Um, and I, I wonder like if I broke down, mm. like I talk about, Hey, I, I, I appreciate psychology. I think I appreciate philosophy. I'm not necessarily knowing the difference between the two. Mm. I wonder if I broke down like what I find myself engaged in and thinking about, cause I ask, I've been the same way my whole mm. life. I've been think I think about these things all the mm. time. If I broke that down, if you could even maybe delineate, is that more psychology? Is that philosophy? Mm. And not that you need to, but I'm just curious where that relates to you and what, how that looks like. So should I throw that at you? Kind of what I, oh yeah, I'm, I'm curious. I I'm, I, I, yeah. Yeah. So the, it kind of ties into this whole podcast, yeah. right? Is yeah. what makes people tick why do you do what you do in this social setting why do you react this way when this person Mm. does it but if somebody else did it Mm. you'd react much differently Mm. Uh, and how does that dynamic play Mm. to the point where i like think about it so much that i I frequently tell my wife in any type of social gathering whatever it might be if one thing happens i can predict the next six things that will happen because of that this person will do this which will change this and this and this and then it'll happen and Mm. she's like how on earth do you know that it's just i've obsessed Mm. over this my whole life right uh anyways also just thinking about like with this podcast, like what is somebody's purpose in life? You talked about, Hey, I need to go teach. I need to do this. Mm-hmm. What's somebody's meaning, right? Like mm-hmm. what is what are they, what are they meant to do in their life? What are, and, and are people pursuing that? I think a lot of people aren't right. They're working something that's mm-hmm. not what they're necessarily meant. They live without a purpose potentially, right. Mm-hmm. Or without a fulfilled total purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that ties into, I think the biggest question I've been asking myself a lot lately is like, what is my self-awareness compared to somebody else's not comparing myself, but like mm. how self-aware are we truly? I mean, you think, mm. you know what your values are and whatever else, but like, mm. 
are you really doing that nice thing because you're nice or are you doing it because it's, it's, it looks virtuous to the rest of the world? Um, whatever it might be, things like that. Like how self-aware are you? And, and, and mm-hmm. I think a lot of people, probably myself included are, are aware. Like I've heard it described as a self-awareness onion that there's many layers mm-hmm. to it. Like a lot of people don't even necessarily think about the outer layer of like, why do I do what I do mm-hmm. and what's this, but then you yeah, get yeah. inside of that and like, why do I care about what they you know? And then you get into the deeper. So I think a lot of it is, yeah. interest in like self-awareness like how yeah. much have you thought about what you do what you like what you don't yeah. like does that fit within your values why do you have those values yeah, yeah. things like that. that yeah so that's the, uh, that's the that's the other part of, of philosophy and so you have this sort of what i've been what i've been doing so far is a uh, um is epistemology and metaphysics okay and then the other part of philosophy it's it's uh, often people concentrate on one or the other i like both i sure. love both yeah the other is in eth- is ethics okay and the question, these sort of questions you're asking and what makes something good? Do I know I'm good? Right. What motivates me? And what's interesting now is, uh, this brings up the question of free will and it brings up how much are you actually in control too? Sure. And it's an interesting thing. I don't know if you ever, you've ever looked into these, uh, these split brain experiments. I don't know if I have. No, I don't think so. And so what happens is, and the reason why, well, plus I'm just interested in this field anyway, but my, my daughter, when she was young, she had epilepsy, which she outgrew, thank God. But she had a, she had a, um, a brain tumor or a slight injury on her brain. Which it's amazing how, how the brain can just work around that stuff now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but anyway, she. Uh, so I looked into this too, and it's interesting where, if because it, it's scary, epilepsy's scary. The seizures are scary, mm-hmm. and you can imagine where they couldn't if they didn't stop. Because there was a period there where she was having them all the time. And what they'll do is if they can't stop it, they'll actually sever the two hemispheres of the brain. Okay. And so they'll cut that. There's the connections that are going in between and they actually split. And what happens is it stops because what happens in when a person's having a seizure, the whole brain is just firing. There's too much going on. Like there's that, there's that cliche where humans don't use their whole brain. Sure. Imagine if we did. Well, seizures are what happened. Right. <laughs> not, not everything can't fire at once. Sure. The body just shuts down or it goes into a... Yeah. And, and so it, that stops that from happening. But then the brain has to relearn things. And what's interesting is this idea when they split the brain, they, there's, there's a, um, some psychologist that thought, well, I wonder if we can access that different hemispheres. So there's these, these ingenious experiments that, uh, um, that neuroscientists would do. There's one, there's one at, uh, I think he's at Caltech. I'm not sure. You can look up the video, like you, some California um, university, and then these split brain experiments. And he does these brilliant lectures on them. And mm-hmm. YouTube is so cool. Right. <laughs> it just is, you know. But, uh, and so when they do these experiments, because if you have the visual, right, your left goes to your right, your right mm-hmm. eye goes to your left, this visual field, and it communicates, then the brain, normally now there's not, because they, they communicate, because they have the connection. Mm-hmm. But if they're not communicating, you can literally just communicate to one half, and the other half doesn't know. Sure. So they would set up these barriers where only one eye saw, and they'd have to train, though, because the nonverbal side of your brain, it takes a little bit while to them, but the, bl- the brain can actually learn new things then, mm-hmm. and it can learn to be verbal. Hmm. So he would do these experiments where he'd teach that one hemisphere to use words, and he could give it commands. But then he'd go ask the other hemisphere. Like he'd, see, he'd tell the one hemisphere, hey, go, go up and get some water. So the person would, would stand up, get water, and come back. And then they'd ask the other hemisphere, like, why did you go get water? And then they'd give a completely different reason because they didn't know. Hmm. But they were convinced they knew. They, they thought they knew the motivation. Sure. And what's interesting is, is you can do this time and time again where it seems like when we come up with the reason why, it's such an odd question because you'll have teachers do this, parents do it, you probably do it as a parent. Why did you do that? Mm-hmm. 
every time the person gives an answer, they're giving you a bullshit answer. Sure. Yeah. They don't know. Right. The correct answer is I don't know. Right. I don't know why I did that. Yeah. But we ask that question, why did you do that? Yeah. And we don't, and we're always coming up with the wrong reason because we don't actually know our motivations. Mm-hmm. But the interesting thing about asking that question, now that's a philosophical question. And so there's some notion of, well, if you're not, if you don't know in the moment, then why even ask the question? Sure. Like these sort of experiments are repeated enough that we, we do know this, that we just always come up with some story to explain why we did it. It's almost like mm-hmm. we're watching ourselves behave. Sure. And then after the fact, we come up with a story of why we did it. Something that makes sense to us. Yeah. But that process of asking why then though changes the way you think about things. Sure. And so if you come up with a reason why you're doing something now, the next time you're in that situation, that's not going to be part of that story. Mm-hmm. Do, do you know what I'm saying? Like, so, do. so doing the philosophy, it's not in the, it's not like, in fact, you don't want to do that. I assume, uh, did you play sports? Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's these moments, right? When you first, you first start a sport and you're thinking and you're like, should I go there? It's too late now. Cause you can't think that you have to just react. Right. But you're not, you don't have a good enough reflexes in order to react. And I'm thinking like a, in a, um, like football because the plays, right? You have to go somewhere and you have to, and you're thinking, oh no, I gotta be here. And I gotta, when you're doing that, you're not a good player. Mm-hmm. But when you're suddenly just acting and it's just flowing, mm-hmm. that's when the, the, the habit of just being, and you know that you can feel it mm-hmm. and you, you can almost like you step back and you realize that I'm not in control here. Right. It's a, it's actually like a beautiful feeling, isn't it? For sure. Yeah. The people call it like the flow or whatever that is. Yeah. And I think maybe like you, you love people who are obsessed with things or are passionate about things. I think that's, that's what people crave too. Right. Is that feeling of, it's a weird thing, right? To think, mm-hmm. but I think you want to then have behaviors. Like you want to have a life that when you do step back and someone asks you, why did you do that? Or what are you doing? It fits in your story. Sure. But the way you do that, and it's the same way, I think sports is such a good analogy for this. And this is what philosophy is. And, 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 and I'll keep saying that. I'll say that many times. I'll yeah. probably say 20 times, yeah. like, this is what philosophy is because yeah. there's so many, you know, there's so many facets. But, but the idea that uh, um, it's like the practice. So the coach, has, uh, the coach has you watch a video and you're thinking about it, you're going through it, mm-hmm. and you're training your brain then that when you're in that situation, you're not thinking, but now you've trained yourself to reflexively do the right thing. Sure. To be in the right spot, to make the right block, whatever it's going to be, right? Yeah. And, but you have to do the work in between. Like you, there, you can't just uh, go from game to game without any practice in between if you're going to improve, right? Right. Because you're just going to keep repeating the same. And that's what philosophy is. is philosophy is like, hey, stop. Stop the game for a second. Now, let's look at this. Mm-hmm. Let's review it ask these questions, ask these absurd questions, even a question like, is my wife real? Do I actually know my wife? Mm-hmm. Which by the way, that's a really good question to, cause you, that's constantly what a marriage is, what a relationship is, is you're like learning. It's what's so like people will say like, how could you possibly uh, be with someone for years and years and years? The reason why is because there's like, like you were talking about a layer of onion, mm-hmm. but then we're always evolving too. And I'm all, you're also learning like as my perceptions change, that person changes for sure. Yeah. And then that person's perceptions change of me. And it's like this, this symbiotic sort of, uh, and that question of, am I actually seeing her or am I just seeing my perceptions of her? Sure. Am I like when I think that she is being whatever, you know, horrible, whatever, is she actually, mm-hmm. come on now. Is she actually right? Maybe sometimes she is right. Yeah. But is, but is it me? Yeah. 
Like I, I remember I had a I had a friend once who told me this. He said that uh, he was going through and he was talking about how he just got fired and he said, "Oh, my boss was an asshole and the last boss was an asshole." And he was going through and I said, "Hey, you're probably the asshole. Yeah, <laughs> if right. everyone around you is an asshole, you're probably the problem, right? Right, right? And so it's important to ask that question. For sure. Am I actually seeing what is? Right. Because we get so stuck in whatever the routine is and, and that habit and that story. And that's kind of what philosophy is. And that's what, again, I, I probably do it way too much, but that's who I am. <laughs> but people, I think, that's when I said, I asked you that question earlier. I said, don't you think that it'd be good for people to do it more? Just... And that's what it is. It's like that step back and say, okay, well, how is my life actually going right now? Right. Am I the person I want to be? What are my values? Yeah. What are my values based in? And then some, and the, the thing about life, right? It's not, well, we, I mean, we know this, of course, but it's not clean cut ever. Yeah. Things are messy all the time. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's not like you can just do that and then say, okay, I'm good now. Right. No, life is going to get messy mm-hmm. and you've got to reevaluate all the time. And because there's, and, th- and this is another thing, what I like so much about it. And, and so try to consider that idea again, is are you actually seeing your wife? Is then you begin to say, how do other people see my wife now? Right. And how important is that? And same thing with yourself. Like you're asking the thing about identity. Mm-hmm. Is it the same thing when I was talking about my friend who he had all these bad bosses and Hey, maybe you're the one, you know, mm-hmm. is that, you actually use other people in that way then to guide you and your identity because the way that people react to you is a really important signifier of who you are. I mean, you may think you're some way, but if that's how, if the world's not reacting to you in that way, you're not. Right. So you learn through your identity also thinking that way. Like, how does this person, like they don't see the world as I see it, mm-hmm. but how do they see it? Can I get a glimpse of that for a second? Right. And that's what I love about the, the notion of like conversational philosophy and asking these questions is because then people start asking, they start telling you how they actually view things. Yeah. And it can seem, and I think that's the beauty of being what human beings. That's why we can read. Isn't it amazing to think about? You can pick up a, a fiction book and it's just, it's just black ink on a white and you can get lost into a world mm-hmm. and you can get in like you feel as a character for sure. The, the, the ability that we have to be empathic, the notion of empathy, the ability to, to feel as someone like sympathy is this idea of like feeling bad for someone, but in empathy, you actually feel as, and this is what I think, again, this is what philosophy is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I keep saying that because these are all core components, but that ability, or at least the notion that there is something different to want to step in, to want to enter into that person's perceptual world. It's a powerful thing to do. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a uh, and so I don't think any of that can begin, though, until we say, am I actually seeing reality? Yeah. Do you, I, I think... Oh, you asked the question about psychology and I went back into no, no. metaphysics. But well, yeah. no, I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> I just realized you, I did that. No, no. You just talked about like, hey, do you think everybody would benefit from being more of a philosopher? Mm-hmm. And I said, yes, right? And, I, and, and even from more of a psych- psychological approach, I think the reason, and, and it might even be like the the, the driver of the podcast or the thing I'm pushing for, not that, not that I'm pushing for something, but I think, okay, if somebody came back and said, this is the result of what you have done, right. Or uh-huh. the, the conversations you've had, yeah. I think it's to, 
help people think about what is important to them, yeah. like on a, on a, on a, yeah. a relationship level, on a career level, whatever else. Yeah. Right. Because a lot of people don't stop and think about that. Can I stop like, there by the way? Sure. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. So this is one, because of the way I was just, what I was just talking to you, yeah. right? And this is how I like to do philosophy too. It's kind of like go on this sort of thing. Sure. And then explain later what that just was. Okay. And so that's Aristotelian ethics. Okay. And philosophers are trying to find a way of how do we know what's good and how do we know, like, how do we know the what, good and bad? How is it right. even exist? Is right. there, and so there's different approaches. And this is what Aristotle's approach was. Yeah. It was this idea that you look at the world and you notice how things function. And we're all at that point, right? We're kind of just in this world. We don't, it doesn't seem like we choose to be here, right? We might, we don't know, right? Mm -hmm. That's a, a, um, but, and also we're looking around, we're trying to figure stuff out. And we, it's slowly, it's a gradual sort of thing. And that's, mm -hmm. how, that's how things come about, right? We know something is a cat by, by a, you know, there's, there's enough of a similarity. And then we start to form, we formulate this idea. In fact, he calls it form. There's this form of catness. And we see that all these things kind of have a catness to them, right? Mm -hmm. And we can't, it's, it's really hard sometimes. We can do that in biology, but there's always these edge cases, right? And it's, definitions aren't clear cut, but mm -hmm. you kind of get a pretty general idea and you can start to formulate what that concept is. Right? Sure. And he thought the same thing, where it's not this idea like, what is, what is, it, what is something to be good? What is a good thing? Mm -hmm. What is a good life? What is um, the proper action? What is an ethical, all that sort of the moral questions. Right. Is he thought, look around and you'll start to see, and it's, it becomes obvious who like uh, take any sort of concept, like take courage, right? And you start to just notice that this concept of courage, just like the concept of cat, almost like abstracts out from things. Sure. And so the concept of courage comes to us, right? Right. It's not like we have to apply courage to things and think, okay, no, does this apply? We kind of intuitively know what courage is. Mm -hmm. And we take all these cases and then we can take this concept and abstract it out and then philosophize about that. Sure. So it's like these concepts come out of and this is what he thought, and this is called virtue ethics. And I, I'm really fond of virtue ethics. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I would do is when I taught, I would have each week I'd have students for my ethics class, is they'd, I'd have a virtue. Yeah. And I, so that would be, one would be like courage, one would be empathy, um, one honesty. Mm -hmm. And I'd want them to, to try to find it. Not, I mean, I want them to look, I think I'm look up online and see what it is, but then kind of think like, no, no, what is like honesty to me? Mm -hmm. What does it mean to be honest? And then come up with a story of what you think is preferably in their personal life. But I had some, I told them, I said, write poetry. If you want come up with stories and some of them had such brilliant, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I, uh, it's, I, uh, I don't know. There's so many. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but it, it was a neat experience to have that. And sure. I loved reading that stuff. And, and then you would go through and by thinking about that concept, and you, you have certain, like, I think there's virtues that we would all, again, not that, not that consensus makes it so, right? but there's definite, there's definite virtues that most people would agree on. Sure. And to think of it that way as like constantly analyzing, okay, no, I, I don't quite know what honesty is. Um, I kind of have this general idea, but let me look at what honest people do. Mm -hmm. And what Aristotle thought is when you do that, you have to then calibrate. And you think about all the examples of people having absence of honesty and then having too much honesty. And he thought he called it his golden mean. And it was this idea that in any virtue, if you take anything to an extreme, it becomes too much. Mm -hmm. And you can see that with people, right? For sure. Like a courageous person is someone who's reckless. Right. And a person who doesn't have enough um, courage is a coward. Sure. There's, you don't want to be reckless, but you don't want to be a coward. You want to be courageous. Right. And you constantly refine that in your life. 
And as you age, because your experience is constantly there, you don't assume ever that you know exactly what courage is. You're mm-hmm. always like seeking it out. Sure. And always noticing examples of courage or whatever, the, whatever these virtues may be. Mm-hmm. And you take those examples and you're refining constantly. It's a work. It's a habit. Right. And it's then he thought that an excellent person then or a virtuous person just becomes habitually virtuous because it's just what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So you think like, uh, and in fact, it's an interesting thing. Like if you think about, um, if you think about something like honesty and it's something that you're, uh, you're, you're looking at people, you're thinking like, okay, I want to know what, and just try this. I would recommend everyone doing this at home. It's a, it's a cool thing to do is to take a, um, is to take one of these things like honesty or take something like the one, <laughs> in fact, I, I remember cause it was the last, it was, it was a COVID lecture I did and I posted it on Facebook actually, but it was about gratitude. And I talked about that with gratitude, how, or honesty or any of these virtues where the more that you're using that concept and you're trying to think of like, I'm, I want to look at what would it mean to, for me to be grateful in this situation and what are grateful people like mm-hmm. is that you act eventually, again, do you actually see your wife? When you're grateful, you see her differently. Mm-hmm. And you see the world differently when you're grateful. And these virtues then, they begin to change the way you view the world. And you become, the more you entertain them, the more you think ethically, the more you ask these sort of questions. That's again, I'm not giving you ans- obvious answers, but by asking these questions, it's changing the way you're viewing the world. For sure. And it's giving you, and again, mm. so that's Aristotle's approach. Okay. And I think, I mean, do you like that? Is that something that- Absolutely. Uh, yeah, for sure. I want to finish the thought, if you don't mind, oh, about, yeah, no uh, <laughs> about like what I'm going for or what yeah, I yeah, shoot yeah. for, what I really appreciate. Because yeah, yeah. I think eventually it leads to the people that are thinking about these kind of things. If you're willing to, whereas I think a lot of people do not, or they do on a very, very small level. There's a lot of, you talked about the, the, the gal who cowered from you, right? In the, in the student mm-hmm. thing, there's a lot of pain, there's a lot of hurt and there's a lot of Definitely. neglect in the world between family members, between uh, community members, whatever it might look like is that if you can get th- those people to sit back and say, wait, why am I abusing my child? Wait, why am I neglecting my brother? Whatever, right? Asking these questions. I think then you can get them to get to the point where they can be more of a loving person to whoever that might be versus uh, like it's so removed from me. Like I've done, everyone's done bad things. Right. Mm. But it's just so far removed from me how you can be in a, you know, I'm even trying to think of an example, but maybe I shouldn't even use an example, but do horrible things and not be of the mindset of like, why am I doing this? You know what I mean? Oh, so uh, that, that's what I'm trying, I, I get what you're trying to say. Yeah. You know, like if you can get, if you can get the abuser of a child to yeah. think about why on earth am I abusing my child? Yeah. Well, there's some value there. Maybe they can get outside of that. I mean, you, you've been angry though. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And in that anger. Yeah. And again, this is, this is something, cause you're right. I, I think you're, Oh, see, I get what you're saying now. Yeah. I, <laughs> I get it. A, I get it. Cause I, yeah, that's what philosophy should do for you. Right. Is cause it helped me so much. I have, I still do. Um, like I'm a very calm person. I'm, I'm, I, I, in fact, I, I, I pride myself on that because mm-hmm. I work so hard on it to right. be calm and things can be just chaotic around me. And I'm always the calmest person. I try to be the calmest person. That's my goal is right. I watch the situation. And cause I, I believe this, um, profoundly mm-hmm. that like one calm person in an environment can change everything. Sure. And I try to be that person, mm-hmm. but I still, I had such a temper when I was young and I had a brother that was two years younger and we fought like crazy because we had, there was a younger brother and there was, oh, you know how it is? You're just always like boys mm-hmm. and, and, oh, good Lord, you know? 
And, and then my dad, you know, cause in part of it's like, there's an excuse a little bit. My dad had a temper and you just start saying things like that. Right. Oh, he's just got a temper. Yeah. You know, and he had the Italian temper and he's calmed down a lot too. It's interesting how that, you know, sure. you, when you work on it and it, and it's that, right. It's that feeling. I know what it feels like to be angry and to lose my temper. Right. And I, do you, do you know that feeling or no? Have Absolutely. you had the, I'm okay. angry. yeah, for sure. No, it's weird to think like, but a child, you know, right. Like how could you like take out your anger on a child? Right. And so that's the sort of question you're asking, right? Yeah. And, and even, even too, I see a lot of pain amongst family members, right? Like, uh, say I, I work in real estate, right? You've got a, uh, inheritance, right? You've got people fighting over $10,000, which is meaningless. Like what's more important, your relationship with your brother or this $10,000, right? Mm-hmm. Of like being on the step back and say, Hey guys, what's the biggest picture here? What, what is our values? What do we care about? Let's put that at the forefront. Who cares what happens with this $10,000? Things like that, that I think are, are very beneficial. Uh, have you tried that by the way? With, with any little bit yeah what happens uh, when you do i've that? approached some things of guys like hey guys what's the end goal here like mm. and that's i'm saying in a crude way because i'm almost mm. worked up talking about it of like yeah. guys what's important here why are you yeah. fighting over this meaningless thing but when i'm actually in the mode i'm more asking like hey guys we're, we're into this this is gonna be tough mm. like your parents just passed away but remember like your relationship is what matters the most like how this plays out or who contributes what or whatever doesn't matter like in 10 years it won't matter right um, but I do appreciate, and we can, we can dive down that whole road too, but I do appreciate what you're saying about how you view things and being a philosopher will change how you view the world. And you talk about viewing your wife or viewing your spouse is like, I've been through many experiences where I view it in a very positive light. And then later find out somebody else was there with me and mm-hmm. they had a very negative experience. And it's like, is it like the rose colored glasses? Is it naivety? Am I naive? Is it optimism? I don't know what it is. And part of me thinks it is just having asked a lot of those tough questions about who you are and what you do things for. And then it it lets you easily put yourself in that person's shoes where somebody else is frustrated. You totally understand. Like, I I see why this person did that. And you're not angry about the situation. In fact, I don't know if you can heal like that person, like the way you were saying, like, I just don't understand. Right. Is I think what I try to do and I think what, again, this is kind of philosophy as I keep saying that, but is this idea of. I am going to understand. Yeah. And, and I think that's why I have our time separating the two psychology and philosophy sure. okay. because the psychology is kind of, I want to understand. I'm not going to let myself not understand. Sure. And in doing that though, it's weird because it puts yourself into dark places. Like Frederick Nietzsche, one of my favorite philosophers said that he said, be careful about staring to the abyss because it may stare back into you. Yeah. Hey. And there's that something to that, but I know, I know why people do it. Right. I, 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 cause I, and you, cause we, we see again, we see, and you can get into that. And I, I think sometimes we don't realize how, because we're in good habits of just being a relatively good person. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't realize how selfish we're being in that. Sure. Or how only self-centered or only just, and we don't realize how, again, that the world that we think we're seeing and experiencing, we assume everyone else is too. Mm-hmm. Now you can imagine taking that to now to another degree. And then now you have, of course, there's addiction, there's, there's drugs. So you're also losing the state of mind, you're losing control. Sure. And there's a reason people are doing that too, right? They want to escape. It's too much. Right. Uh, Right. But so you can imagine being in that situation and it doesn't, and you, now your temper is lost Yeah. or in like the situation you're talking about the real estate sort of thing mm-hmm. is, uh, is you just cannot see the other person's perspective. Right. And you don't even know the other person's perspective exists in a sense. In fact, you'll hear this. Yeah. It's one of those frustrating things when you hear people talking and the one person is saying something and the other person, and they're not even like, they're not even acknowledging the other person has a, 
a proper position for sure because it doesn't make sense to them i don't think it does i think yeah. when you're especially in a really strong emotional state like right. you said like a death or if you're if you're um if you're an abuser a, a drug abuser and then you're abusing that sort mm-hmm. of stuff when there's strong emotional for sure i think the the default position is to even go more into ourselves to like you almost trust like our own perceptions even more sure so i can understand these yeah. situations right okay. the anger yeah, the yeah. abuse the frustration at a mm-hmm. brother so what I, so I don't know if I'm even framing that question. Like, I don't understand. Mm-hmm. It's like, I understand it. Like I've been angry. You can mm-hmm. get frustrated at your kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, say you were abused. You can, you can be frustrated at the world and say, this is what I was dealt with or, or not even have the ability to work beyond that. Right. And it just so, becomes a habit. It's a reflex for sure. Right. So, were, yeah. so I understand it. Yeah. Right. Like from a, from a put myself yeah. in their shoes, I get it. But at the same time, it's, it's, it's so hard mm. that abused child. It's yeah. just brutal right is like it seems like and again this could be even me like virtue signaling i don't know right mm. like it seems like there's a way that you like if you can truly look inside you and say wait is mm. this who i am is this what i want mm. that if you can start to ask those questions that's how you break through it otherwise how do you break the cycle i don't know you know what i mean because mm. there's people that break the abuse cycle there's 10 generations that behind them were mm-hmm. were physically well, abused most right? people do Right. Sure. Yeah. That's probably the case. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, No, it is the case. Most people do. No, it's, it's one of those things where it's odd about um, statistics where the majority of people abuse were abused, but the majority of people abuse do not abuse. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) It's one of those things. Right. So it it can, it can can kind of confuse us when we think about it. Yeah. Yeah. And yes, most people do escape it, but I think it become, it it is a struggle. And I I think in fact, uh, um, yeah, cause even like the, it's even like, cause I was thinking about how normal it is. I was comparing it to like, uh, like other families that don't have that. Like, I think, I don't think I went through abuse, mm-hmm. but other families they do. Cause we were relatively violent. There was a, there was a spanking was very, and my dad would spank with a temper and, mm-hmm. but I don't, I don't think him harshly at all. Cause it was kind of, that's was normal. Sure. And so normal is a weird thing, right? Because it's, people can live in all sorts of crazy psychological situations that only in hindsight do they realize how fucked up it was. Right. And that happens all the time because, because, because the, the, the human mind always wants to make things normal. Mm-hmm. It takes whatever situation you're in and says, oh, and it, like, again, that same thing where when you ask someone, why'd you do that? You come up with a story that's bullshit. For sure. Right. <laughs> you just do. And you believe your own story and you begin to believe it more. And it's almost like when you're in those situations, again, that's why I love that idea of like, are you actually seeing your wife? What is real? is because you realize that, wait, I'm in, I, I'm often a really messed up psychological situation too. And I'm not even aware of it. Sure. And we're doing that all the time of what is normal. And it becomes, yeah, it's a, uh, and it's, it is a hard question. Cause it's one of those things that evil is a hard thing to deal with. Right. Do you believe there's evil? Do you believe? Yeah. I mean, gut reflex. Yeah, for sure. And it's an odd question. Like, why would anyone do an evil act? Like, if you knew it was an evil act, why would you do it? Mm-hmm. And this is what Socrates, right? Um, Socrates is considered kind of the, the father of philosophy. Mm-hmm. Is the way he, that he viewed ethics, he thought all ethics was just ignorance. And that sounds what, like how you're viewing it. It's this idea that if only they knew. Right. If only they could see that, they then would act in an ethical way. Right. And yeah, maybe do you think this, I mean, this uh, idea that all like do people though, just willingly do an evil act 
or do they always like kind of justify and think it's a good thing? I'd say on the whole, most people that do evil things in their mind, it was a good thing. Yeah. It was justified for whatever yeah. reason. Your child did the wrong thing. Yeah. Uh, for our faith, we're going to fly a plane into the air, twin towers, whatever, right? It was a good, powerful thing. Um, I think most people, other than maybe there's a, a select way fringe that do evil for the sake of doing evil, mm-hmm. most people justify it as doing the right thing. That's my government. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think it is. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a... And the question becomes then, um, how do we know that we're not doing evil things? Now? Sure. We, yeah. <laughs> you could be. Absolutely. Yeah. For sure. It's interesting. Like, you think about the notion of... Uh, again, this is a, a bigger scale. But think of something like slavery. People will say... Um, you know, this country, it's, it's, it was the original sin. And, and how, could, how could people possibly live in a country? How could they tolerate slavery? Mm-hmm. Well, right now, there's tons of slaves in the world. In fact, there's more slaves now than there was 200 years ago. Right. And the, most of the, the, the clothes you're wearing, the, these tables, were built by slaves. Mm-hmm. And the thing about it is, like, we're part, we are now engaged in an evil just like they were then. Like, if someone yeah. you'd say, like, well, you were, you were part of the United States. You were, you were like, in that original sin. Well, someone would before cars, right? Before there were highways and there, you know, airplanes. Like Alabama to someone in New England was as far away as China is to us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in fact, it's maybe further. Sure. Because you can get on a plane and go to China. Yeah. Right. And, and so the fact that we are now engaged, someone will look back, you know, when you think about it, like, oh, those are evil people. Like what is, you know what I mean? This idea of like we are engaged in. Right. And it, so it can be on a broader scale like that, like that too, right? Yeah. Is this question of... Uh, but the question is, what makes something good or bad? Yeah, I don't know. Is it a thing, uh, like you said, you just know it? Like it's a, you don't have to search for it. You can see good. But again, I've heard it said too, two, somebody can do two actions. Mm-hmm. The, the, the same action have one be evil, one be good mm. based upon what the intent is or what the motive yeah. is or whatever, right? And so this is the, this is the question that philosophers are, are trying to figure out. Right? Aristotle, most aren't satisfied with Aristotle. I think it's, a, it's, it's almost like a beneficial psychological thing to do. Okay. But it doesn't seem to satisfy, but that doesn't tell me what good is. Mm-hmm. Like what is something to be good? Now, a lot of people, because you, uh, you mentioned like the abuse situation. Sure. And this is something that um, a lot of philosophers, it bothers them because they talk about God a lot. Right. And there's this question of, it seems so odd, like if, that if there is a God, and the God is a good God. Right. And he's all powerful and this sort of normal sort of, in fact, this is how when philosophers talk about God and these sort of thought experiments, they'll use the definition of God being um, all powerful, all loving, all knowing. And he's, and so he's capable of anything. Right? Mm-hmm. And we created all this is how could he allow that evil? Sure. It's one thing for you to think like, well, that person who also had a history of abuse and that person who has a, who's never learned, he never, never was educated enough to develop his temper. And maybe he has, he has some psychopathology. So he doesn't, it's hard for him to feel empathy. And imagine how hard that would be if you, it's one thing where it's hard to see someone else's position, but if you're not capable even of it, that's a tough thing. Right. Right. And so all the, but God, he allows it. Sure. Come on now. Right. Well, Right, that's a that's a tough one. You have to admit that's a tough one, right? Mm-hmm. For sure. And uh, but then the question becomes: Do you need God though to even have evil? Like, do you need do you need some sort of law lawgiver, some sort of someone to tell, like uh, a judge in a sense? Do we need that to have good and evil? Like, if there is no God, can there be good and evil? Does God, is God required for there to be a good and evil? 
can there just be a can there just be good without God? How like do you, does, does this intuitively? Do you have a, a gut reaction about this? Not really. No, uh, no, I don't know. Because some philosophers, and it's one of those things that um, some philosophers are are convinced of this. You need that foundation. You need uh, um, you need someone to give the commandments, and then we follow them. Right? Okay. Because otherwise, it becomes just simply like, how do you justify something being good? Like, let's say you say, this is a um, this is this is something I'm doing. I say, no, I don't. I don't think you should do that. Mm-hmm. How do we solve it? Whether it's good or bad, your, your yeah. question is. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, does that come from a from that aspect? I'm not sure, or is it something where it's a, just a intuitive? Is there like similarities because you don't want cultures? it to be intuitive, right? Because right. my our intuitions may disagree. Right. So now you have your intuition, you have my intuition, and we're all disagreeing about something. Sure. And you say, well, how do we know if this is a good action? Right. And it seems, and that was the way that often this was answered is, well, there's a, um, there's a God who told us what's good and bad. Mm-hmm. And the reason that he knows is because he has ultimate knowledge and he's the creator of everything. Sure. But then the question becomes this, and this is an interesting question that Plato brings up. Again, now Plato um, was writing 2,300 years ago. It's interesting. These questions are so brilliant. <laughs> the yeah. way that, but he has, he uses, um, so we don't know much about Socrates in part because uh, Socrates never wrote anything. And what we do though have is in Plato's works, he uses Socrates as his main character. Okay. So, so Plato writes in dialogues where he has Socrates talking to other people and it's, it's very conversational and they're brilliant dialogues because they're kind of funny and they're kind of tangential too. It's, it's just two people having a conversation mm-hmm. and Socrates can be a little bit annoying because he keeps asking why, 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 why. And obviously the other person's often just like, okay, Socrates. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it was this question that he asked. Um, it was, it's, uh, um, in the book of Euthyphro. So he's talking to Euthyphro and it's someone who's waiting. He's waiting in line to go into the courthouse and he tells him why he, t- he tells Socrates why he's in there. And, and he said, are you sure that that's good? Are you sure you know what good and bad is? And the guys in Euthyphro answers, he says, uh, he says, well, this is what the gods say. And he said, but, but why do the gods say it? Mm-hmm. That one more question, right? Now we're in philosophy, right? Now, before that we're into theology sure. where you have this idea of, um, what did God say is good or bad? Right. And then how do we follow that? But the question is, why did God say this is good or bad? Mm-hmm. And this is what, this is a, 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 this is something that uh, philosophers have tried to get around or tried to figure out. It's a really, see if we, I think you, I think it's a pretty simple thing to follow, but you can see the complexity very quickly mm-hmm. is this idea that if God, if something is good because God wills it, God could will any action to be good then. Sure. Then it's just arbitrary. So if there was an evil God that created a world with the complete opposite values of what we assume God has now, evil would therefore be good and good would be evil. Right. And it, that's just the way it would be. Mm-hmm. So it'd be good to murder someone. It'd be good to cause pain. It'd be good to do all the things that we now think is wrong. Right. And that just doesn't seem right. Right. No, right. Like yeah. it's not. Uh, and then the question would be if God if God told you to do something, mm-hmm. like you can imagine, right? If, uh, if, uh, when I'm done in the, with this conversation and I go out to my truck and I look to my side and all of a sudden God's there, you know, 
And you could imagine, like, I know it's God. And the reason I know it's God is because it's just like that intuitive, like, it's just like God is like entering my cells. It's just like, ah. Mm-hmm. It even has like your kind of voice. Sure. It's like a God voice. You know? <laughs> <laughs> even that God laugh. That's good. Yeah. It's a good. Yeah. It's like he's a deep voice. He's like, hey, Ben. Yeah. And then he tells me to do something horrible. Do I have to do it? Is it the good? Is it a good thing to do? Because God told me. And again, you could say, well, are you sure it's God? And I'm like, no, no, I know it's God. Like, yeah. you know, I know it's God. Like, it's just, it's God. I mean, it's, uh, yeah. Is it the right thing to do then if God tells me to do it? Yeah. I mean, it's so far removed from just my current world that I just hard to even answer that question. But I would say, no, it's not the right thing to do. Right. And I think that's, I think that's right. You know? Yeah. And, and so I think by saying that, once you say that, again, these are thought experiments. Mm-hmm. They seem bizarre, and you say, "Why would you even think about that?" And but then it guides you. So, so by saying that, what you're saying then is that good and evil is beyond God. Sure, that He has to follow some metric, and so that therefore then you can take not. It's, it's a weird way of saying it because I think um, I think it belongs within virtue ethics. I think uh, I think that's kind of like religion. Um, in some ways, I don't know. I mean, I love religion too. Sure. <laughs> I took all the religion classes I could. Mm-hmm. I love philosophy religion. And everyone, I, and if you asked me um, tomorrow, I'd have a different definition probably. Sure. But in some sense, that's kind of um, what religion is, right? Is trying to, you're, it's like, it's in that virtue ethics sort of world where there's these stories that are representing certain virtues. And there's this, we kind of, it's giving you a guideline of what's good and bad. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of nice to have these base, these commandments, but even then they're kind of, you know, that's the neat thing about the Hebrew Bible is Abraham argues with God. <laughs> you know, Job kind of argues with God. Mm-hmm. There's a sort of like, it's a, it's philosophical. Like it's kind of, it's a, and there, you know, it's a question of, uh, of then how do we know if God's not going to give us an answer? Cause that's kind of then religion. Religion then doesn't, can't give us the answer what's good and evil. Sure. So how do we know then? And this is something there that, that uh, again, there's, there's main two approaches that philosophers have kind of, there's many approaches, but often what happens is things are similar enough that you start to group them together. Okay. And so one of the groupings is called uh, um, utilitarianism. Okay. And does this, have you heard of? No. Okay. No. Now what this idea is, is that the way that we know good and bad is we started a very base assumption that we that things that are really obvious like when i asked you earlier i said what do you know mm-hmm. and when you know things like very basic like pain is bad mm-hmm. like that's i don't know what bad is but definitely pain sure like th- there are certain things that are just we just know like that's bad right and you can even ask you can say well how do we know what the pain is it doesn't even almost matter because now you don't have to look at the objective because i can say what's painful to you mm-hmm. and you your answers might be different than mine right like there's a it's one of the things i did where i i, I love uh I love teaching people things and to me, almost like every time you teach, you're doing philosophy. Yeah. <laughs> that's, I love that about teaching. Mm-hmm. And so I, I've taught a lot of people to weightlift. That's one of my hobbies. I love weightlifting and it's hard to uh, get someone to that point where it has to be somewhat painful. Yeah. And when someone's new to weightlifting, that's a really weird, but you don't injure yourself. Right. It's like pain through form, through knowing, not injuring yourself. Yeah. That's just, that's what I was just going to say. That pain through exercise or adversity mm. of climbing a hill or whatever yeah. is beneficial in the long run. Right. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So you don't, so not all pain is, is bad. Right? right. And so you'd have this sort of thing where you'd say, but what is like the thing that you don't want then? Mm-hmm. And we'll call that the, whatever the negative might be. Sure. 
And so it's going to vary from person to person. Right. And it's going to be something that, and then you start to do this where you add all the consequences up of any given action right. or any given way of living, any sort of, any sort of law. You say, what is going to be the net consequence of this? Mm-hmm. How much are people going to be, uh, again, pain is a weird word with this. Sure. Are dissatisfied, they, they, um, a negative, negative feeling about whatever these sort of, you add this sort of stuff up. Mm-hmm. And then you think of all like the things that people would want. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of, you weigh that out. And that's what good is. Sure. Good is like producing the most benefit in the world yeah. and the least amount of harm. Right. And that becomes like your basis. And it's, it's always, it's a tough thing to do though. I think this is probably the most commonsensical way. Is this what you think of ethics to some degree? Yeah, probably. I don't know. I, I don't know that I've broken it down to that far of a level, but there's a few things, thoughts I have. Uh, initially, I've thought to myself that is there some value in some of the painful things, even the abuse, even yeah. things like that, right? Because then you can go out and be a beacon in the world and change the world and eliminate it elsewhere. So mm. you had to live through these tough things. Mm. That makes you very point, yeah. empathetic. That yeah. makes you help 10 other people not have mm. to live through that or I'll be able, or at least mm. be able to work through it or whatever it might be. Right. Yeah. Um, so there's yeah. value there, I think in yeah. going through some of those things and that kind of ties back earlier. I was going to ask you a question. Is there, is there, there must be some type of a, a personality or even you could even say like, uh, like I, 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 I previously I've said, I really enjoy psycho- psychology. Right. Mm. And mm. I think I do. Again, I don't, I don't quite, quite have a clear definition in my head right now of what psychology mm. versus philosophy is. Mm. Um, but I think I enjoy them both. But is there a type of person who has gone through enough or struggles enough where they're drawn to that? And if that is the case, is there a metric at which that person should potentially not go down those roads or they should, you know what I mean? Like you could see a world where somebody Mm -hmm. has struggled enough and they're like, for some reason that struggle has led them to be like, Hey, I'm really engaged in this. I think Mm -hmm. about this all the time because I've been through this. Let's go down this path, and that leads them to a darker place potentially. I don't know. I don't know what that looks like. Um, mm. Or is it typically more enlightening and helps them work through some of those major struggles that they, struggles that they had? So I think there's like you said, extremes to anything, right? There yeah. could be an extreme to how yeah, yeah. far do you go down a certain path, yeah, yeah. and is there? Yeah. Do you want to go down that path? I don't know. Yeah, I, I guess I'm yeah, like there's a golden mean of philosophy too, right? Sure, yeah. <laughs> there's an Aristotelian golden golden mean. Exactly, everything right. probably. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know my my experience with that, and I worried about that all the time. Um, in fact, I, I yeah, I still worry about it. I, I wonder if it's it's one of the reasons. Maybe maybe it's uh, I'm always I'm always seeking it out. It's one of the reasons why, um, as much as possible, especially students that I know, because you just know. There's certain students you impact, mm-hmm. and I worry that it was a bad impact. I'm always worried about that. Sure. And yeah. because I think I'm a philosopher, I think it's weird because I don't know how many teachers have this, where it'll keep them up at night wondering if they <laughs> did something wrong, yeah. and wondering if and but trying to like still because it's the philosophy is ongoing, uh-huh. and to like get in contact again. And it's weird because if if. Uh, my former students know that if you run into me, we're going to talk philosophy. Sure. <laughs> and I'm going to ask like, and I'm going to tell you, Oh shoot. I think this was wrong when I told you. Right. And I, I hope, you know, I'm not sure, but then they'll often they'll disagree with me and we have now another conversation. Yeah. And uh, so far I, I feel good about it. Yeah. And it's, it's a really cool thing because I've had, uh, it feels miraculous at times. Um, some of the transformations are amazing. You know? mm-hmm. And I don't even know. It's an interesting thing about it is I don't know what, what was even happening. I don't know why the philosophy has that power. Mm-hmm. 
is all I know is I love philosophy. I'm obsessed with it. I was passionate about it. And it's what I, I went to grad school for it. And, mm-hmm. and it's all I think about. And everything, I th- even like I said, teaching to me, like I, I analyze that and I think, oh, teaching is a philosophy. Like everything becomes that way to me. Right. And all I know is I, I, ex- I would do that and I would, and by the end of semesters, not everyone, some people didn't like me, but those were the ones that weren't bothered by me anyway. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> there were some that didn't, you know, like I wasn't affecting them, mm-hmm. but the ones that really seemed to be impacted, like, I don't know, it was just like this beautiful sort of, mm-hmm. and people would thank me and it was, I don't, you know what I'm saying? So I don't That's know. Like, so in the question of like, um, it's probably bad for me. Sure. <laughs> you sure. Know I, mean? I don't know. I, I wonder about it, but again, that suffering, cause there's this, um, you know, Dostoevsky. Yeah. Yeah. So when I taught existentialism, um, it would be a higher level class, so you know, and uh, we'd have, uh, um, yeah, this was at Finlandia, so it was a higher, we, it's kind of fun to have like uh, seniors and that actually are philosophy majors. Mm-hmm. And I love community college because I love introducing people to philosophy. I love engaging on that journey, like, hey, like, uh, let's go on this journey together. Right. But it's interesting to have like, yeah. But one of the, one of the, uh, one of the works I would use is Dostoevsky's Notes from Underground. Okay. And it's this, it's this brilliant essay of a person who, um, life seems so good. Right. And if you think about it, like all this technology that we have, it's making our life easy. Right. And, but it's also like making us like too safe. Sure. We're getting lazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he thought if you could, you could imagine, right? Imagine a world where all that was taken care of. Like all you had was uh, all your things were taken care of. And even you don't have to work anymore. Mm-hmm. And you couldn't even imagine, right? Like, uh, um, everything is given to you just exactly how you need it. You know, mm-hmm. in some sense, you almost become like just a cog in a machine right. and you're just going along with things. He thought we'd be so miserable as humans. Yeah. We would, we just would, we need pain. Yeah. We need to just mess things up once in a while. Right. And he said that, and in fact, that's what he, <laughs> that essay is so brilliant because it's just like this philosopher thinking about life. And he said, my goal now is going to be to make life harder. Yeah. And I, I remember that's one thing that I think of when I think about philosophy is I, I used to introduce it sometimes that way is like, one of my goals is to make your life harder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to make your life harder. Right. I want to bring pain to your life, yeah. but like a pain that's beneficial. Yeah. The kind of pain that you do with weightlifting. Right. Like it's not like there's nothing worse than, uh, cause you know, I mean, I'm not saying pain is good. This is like this weird, like mm. philosophers talk about things and yeah. Cause I remember I had a student once I was, I was having this exact conversation right. or something like this. Cause this is the, you know, this just comes up. This is one of the issues in ethics. Mm. And he was, he was very, he stayed after class and he was very upset and he was, didn't like the way that I was talking about how pain can be good. Sure. Cause that's not, you know, if someone who's gone through things, mm-hmm. obviously you're not saying that's a good thing to go through. Right. Right. We, we, right. But there's a different, there's different kinds of pain. That's why I like the metaphor of weightlifting mm-hmm. is there's a kind of pain that's beneficial. Right. And then there's a pain that also injures. Yeah. But like you said, the, the pain that also injures, if the person can learn from that, you know, and that's where philosophy comes in, right? Right. Is like, I'm going to show you, like, I want to make you think about these things and thinking about these things might be kind of painful. Mm-hmm. And, and obviously that's why I would, I, I, I said like the first, uh, the first day of class is please drop it. This is too intense. Mm-hmm. If you're not ready to do philosophy, don't do philosophy. Right. But if this is something you can tolerate, let's do this, you know, yeah. <laughs> let's, uh, uh, and that yeah. idea of like exploring and feeling like, a, like, cause having to think about, again, you don't want to get stuck in that cycle. You always want to think like that. I love that you, the way you said that, like the, the idea of like growing from the pain right. is, uh, is cause you can get into a rut of where your thoughts take you over mm-hmm. for sure. 
and that's not a good and you and you're not it's not productive right is what philosophy is trying to do is to teach you to make that productive yeah and to explore it almost feels like it's a um and maybe that's why it feels somewhat tangential because it's like it's like guiding you mm-hmm. the path is ongoing sure <laughs> it hasn't stopped for me yet right i don't think it stops for anyone that's the beauty of life yeah and yeah and this is kind of what human psychology is right yeah. i think a few things there and i think i put myself in this category i think the type of person to add to that right you get stuck in your thoughts right the type of person that's drawn to psychology drawn to philosophy on average they're the type that's going to be more in their head versus other people right uh there's some people i've even sat on this podcast like hey did you think about this did you what did that mean to you and like nope i just enjoyed doing it and it was just like Mm. almost a shock to me like what like i i've thought to the 10th degree about what i'm doing and why i enjoy it what it means to me whatever else is a few things there is that type of person like myself or you right you're going to be drawn toward these things is again that can go too far is there is there some huge for me i found there's huge health benefits in forcing myself to get out of that like mm. being more the now the living the current the i'm chopping firewood whatever it might be mm. right and, and you're and you're more in that current moment right uh but i even wondered you talk about struggle right like mm. what if if our life was so easy we'd be miserable and you could argue that my life has been relatively easy from like uh a mm. uh, a work standpoint an income standpoint right compared to what it would have been mm. even 50 years ago or during the great depression whatever else is i wondered what would my where would my headspace be if we had like a great depression and it was straight up i'm scrapping mm. to make next week's groceries and what we're eating is potatoes and flour or whatever you know what i mean like what would that look like there's almost an element where you'd, you'd almost have more of a beauty like yes. because you're just straight living the struggle right now mm. you don't even have time to be stuck in your thoughts you know what i mean yeah. Does that does that make sense to you? Uh, even like wondering what yeah what what would that be like? It almost like the hug you give your daughter when you get home is more impactful when you're barely scraping by versus when you're stuck in all these other existential. Can, can I tell you what sounds odd there? about it though? Is uh, I separate the two. What do you mean? So I have uh, I have stuck in my thoughts. Okay. And then I have philosophy. Okay. And when I'm stuck in my thoughts, what gets me in the flow? And what gets me out of that is philosophy. Sure. And it's such a yeah. weird thing to say. I know it sounds like the, like, because this is the, and it's something I would try to um, convince students of, is I'm not, I don't want you to get into that stuck in the rut overthinking thing. Yeah. I want you to do philosophy. Sure. And there's something, I don't know what it is. It's, uh, um, and it, it's one of the reasons I think I bring up, uh, I bring up God a lot. Because um, again, again, I had a, I've had professors, um, you know, tell me don't bring up God in lectures because there's some philosophers who don't at all because it mm-hmm. becomes too controversial. And uh, I loved it though because it's one of those things that that's what philosophy is. Philosophy is in that realm. Mm-hmm. It's what it's what when you're it's like when you're thinking about about meaning and purpose and the good life and you're thinking of these concepts. No, you're within those concepts. Mm-hmm. When you're, I think when you're stuck in the rut, when you're stuck in whatever that is, that cyclical thinking of, mm-hmm. and you're just like, ah, oh, stop this. I can't, you know, right. Yeah is you're not thinking about concepts though. Sure. You're not thinking about the good life. You're not asking questions about broad things. And then, and maybe not everyone will think can do that with philosophy. Like you said, that's the worry. It was always my worry. Right. Is that people will confuse those two. Mm -hmm. And it's something that, um, yeah, because I'm I'm glad that, uh, because I haven't been engaged in, like I'm always doing philosophy, but I, I, I have to remind myself that they are separate. Sure. And so like lately now I've been doing more philosophy or in the sense that like, it's more, I'm like, okay, I remember now I got to follow the structure because otherwise it will bleed into it. Sure. It's almost like I have to, it's almost like a way of, maybe this is the way of doing it. Maybe this is a, um, 
I'm glad you brought this up because I haven't the way that you're thinking about it now. Right. Is maybe it's a training of that to but like you put it within a structure. Sure. It's like someone who has a bunch of chaotic energy. That's not good. But if you structure it within a sport, right. you use their energy or you structure, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like a structure to that. For sure. And that's kind of what, uh, um, and why I love the historical philosophers and why, because they give me a structure. It's yeah. weird. Like you think about why do people keep talking about Plato and Aristotle and Socrates? Why do people keep talking about Descartes and what other philosophers like I talk about? Right. And part of it is that it gives you kind of, they're the skeleton of your thought process then. Because right. then you are bouncing your ideas off of their ideas. Yeah. And their ideas have stood to some, they've, well, they obviously have, they stood the test of time. Mm-hmm. So they're worth worth bouncing your ideas off. If they're giving you a framework, mm-hmm. they're giving you a channel in which to do that. So for maybe some of us who are crazy overthinkers. Sure. <laughs> who are just kind of shut this damn thing off. Right. It gives you like a... I don't know. Like, it's almost like, a, yeah, it gives you that structure to do with it. Like, it feels yeah. productive. Maybe it's not. That's right. a philosophical question. Yeah. Even that has a question. Right. Are you sure it's productive? Yeah. yeah. A few things I think of there. One is, like, for you, the philosophy is you're chopping the firewood. That's what it sounds yes, like, right? That's how, that's how you break out of that rut. <laughs> so that's much. cool, right? Yeah. But the much. other side of it, I'm asking these questions because I think they're cool, right? Not Not cool. They're interesting to me, like, of... Hey, can you go too far? Should you go the other direction? Because I can, I can for sure get stuck in my own head where I find health benefits of just being, let's go for a walk. Let's do this. Even if you're thinking during that, whatever more being in the current moment versus like, what does this mean? Or what does that mean? Right. Um, but also too, is like, you are who you are and lean in on that is how I feel like celebrate it. Right. Mm. You're the type you said since eight years old or whatever, you were always been a thinker. Everyone's always looked at you as a philosopher. I think that's who you are. Celebrate it, lean in on it. That's just my personal gut reaction, you know, yeah. versus the, the counter argument. Somebody might say like, why do you think so much? You know, like, <laughs> Oh man, yeah. this is who I am. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. The, uh, can I, can I talk about the, the other ethical system? Here? Sure. Uh, yeah. yeah. So have you heard of Immanuel Kant? No, I don't think I have. No. A lot of these, again, philosophy okay. is almost zero practical <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. research. Yeah. And so one of the things that Immanuel Kant thought is he thought that uh, um, he thought that the way that this has to be founded is he thought, because he was, again, all these philosophers were, because philosophy at the time was everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Basic knowledge was called philosophy. Right. And so he was interested in, like most of the philosophers were mathematics. Almost all these philosophers were mathematicians. Yeah. And it's interesting when in grad school, because you're surrounded by everyone, everyone there has a philosophy degree. Mm-hmm. What a unique thing, by the way. How often are you with like 50 people, all philosophy degrees? Yeah, right. <laughs> so cool, you know? Right. I love grad, that's such a cool time, grad school. You know? And then the professors too, they treat, you know, you get to know them and they're, yeah, and they're equally, they're crazier than you can imagine. And yeah. Yeah, that's cool stuff, yeah. Yeah. But everyone has such a, there's such an, um, a reverence and everyone loves like their math is yeah. there's something about mathematics because i think it's that same sort of thing mm-hmm. like it's because it's, it's so abstract and it's like an overthinking but it's a very structured overthinking right philosophy is like a little bit looser but it has that mathematical sort of feel to it yeah. and Kant thought that's what ethics should be it should be like mathematics so he thought it can't contradict itself okay and so that's what ethics becomes is ethics is anything that any st- any statement you can make that doesn't contradict itself. So if you say something like, um, it has to be, in other words, it has to be universalized. Sure. It has to be true in all, in all cases. It can't like defeat itself. Mm-hmm. And so you say something like, uh, um, lying is good. But if you say lying is good, right? It all already, it defeats itself because mm-hmm. then lying can't be good. You know, that's just one obvious thing. Sure. And also you think about the behaviors of lying. Lying would only be good if everyone assumes you're telling the truth. Right. 
So lying, it's, it like defeats itself. Mm-hmm. And so he thought you could go through and that would be one of the base requirements. And this is like a very abstract, Kant was a very abstract thinker. Mm-hmm. Now people don't seem to like, they kind of get that concept, but it doesn't really pull them. Sure. But then he had another, he called these his cat- categorical imperatives. He just come up with these basic categories of what would make something ethical. Yeah. And the other was this, and I really like this, and students seem to really like this, is this idea that we should never treat others as means only, but always as ends in themselves. So a means only would be you're using them. Sure, yeah. And you're using them for only your good. You're not thinking that they also have ends. Right. And he thought this was so obvious because you have your own desires, and Mm -hmm. you know they have their own desires. If you simply face that truth, Mm and treat people as if they have their own desires, hmm. ethics becomes obvious from there. Right. You just don't simply use people. You can use people because it actually feels good to be used. Right. Like being a, being a dad is like the coolest thing ever. Yeah. <laughs> when right. you're serving people, it's awesome. Mm-hmm. It, you know what I mean? It's a very, yeah. But when someone, because they're on, you know, but if someone is now using you as a servant and you can tell they don't think of you as a person. Right. Oh. Yeah, it's tough. Like everyone who's ever worked a service job knows that feeling. Oh, yeah. 100%. And I think we also know that occasionally we treated people like that mm-hmm. and how shitty that is that we've done that. Yeah. And I think, no, this is a really neat, cause I, one of the stories I used to use and, uh, cause I think, I don't know, we so easily do this, right? I was, uh, I was at Northern and, uh, it's cool. You know, I had one of those jobs. I was working at a full service gas station and you know, you, you get to be such good friends in those sort of college jobs. Oh yeah. And it was such a neat story. And I was always the philosopher in the groups. So always, you know, hmm. uh, you know, it was like, okay, Ben, enough of the God stuff. Let's go on. You know? mm-hmm. And, uh, but you could, you could drink. I don't know if it's still a case, but you could drink at 19 in Canada. And so we all went to, we all got in a car together and went to the Sioux from Northern. And, and when we went there, we went to the bar and we found out there's a strip club there. And so we went to the strip club and, you know, I was a good Christian boy and I, if I felt wrong and that's one of those cases where do you ever at purposely do evil? Kind of cause it felt kind of naughty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it feels like, you know, sometimes you just do, you know, you shouldn't, but that makes it a little more fun. Sure. That was kind of one of those cases, but then we were all kind of having fun, but kind of guilty, you know, like a bunch, you can imagine a bunch of 19 year old, you know, good Lord. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, not a good age. I'm glad I'm not 19 again. Uh, right. But, uh, I remember this, what happened is the, um, yeah, the, like watching how, Cause there's a difference, right? The stripper is a person. You're very, you see how you're like, you can very quickly just treat them as a means there. Mm-hmm. Right. Because the, the, cause the other, other ethical things, which, you know, the sexuality and all that other stuff. And the fact that it feels a little bit wrong, very quickly, you stop becoming ethical in those sort of situations. And to see some of that is a weird thing to see. Right. Mm-hmm. And, but I, I remember in that situation, not noticing that at the time, only later thinking about it but just feeling like it was, that was wrong. And, you know, and that one of the guys, this usually doesn't happen. Right. Uh, but one of the guys was a, was a boxer. And so he had like the, uh, the very ripped abs sort of thing. And for whatever reason, um, one of the strippers seemed to like him. She's a, he, she's a human. She fell in love. You know, usually that doesn't happen, but she kind of mm-hmm. fell for him. And, and, uh, and I'm, and she, and then they, st- and then she went to the next bar with us afterwards and she kind of became part of our group. And it was so, it struck me all at once. Right is that all that felt wrong. But then the way that in that group of people that we were with, the way that they suddenly treated her like she wasn't a human mm-hmm. because she was a stripper, the look on her face when someone did that, like she was just 
You know, it was mm-hmm. the sad, one of the saddest things I've ever seen. Yeah. They treated her as just a tool, a means. Yeah. And it was the most devastating. I've, the way that she looked and then walked away, I realized that's the worst thing that I've ever seen happen to someone. Huh. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like that is holy. F- <laughs> and I realized all the other stuff, like thinking about what is good or bad. Of all the things, because, you know, whatever your ethics you think of, like stripping, like, is to use sexuality for commerce. And there's a lot of philosophical and ethical debates to have about that. But even if you assume that's wrong and it felt wrong, the worst thing we did that weekend, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, and I I still I still feel guilty about now that I didn't stop it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Because that's a powerful thing. Right. And I think that's true. That. Again, that going back to what is reality, realizing that they are not just part of your reality. They have their own. Yeah. You know what I mean? For and sure. that should be the basis of ethics. Yeah. And that should be the basis of your life. If just you do that. Like imagine if you tried to live that way. Where every person you engaged with. You treated them as an end in themselves. Mm-hmm. And not only that, right? You tried to understand their world. And even the moment you have with them. Every person you meet. Imagine the healing, you know? yeah. right? I mean, that that's a good life, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, that's a good life. Yeah, um, oh, I appreciate that. Uh, yeah. I appreciate that answer or even that, that outlook because I find myself drawn to, in any situation, real estate client, coworker, you, is to sit across from you. And even like, it, it seems so easy to see maybe some struggle that they're going through of like, how could I help them? And like, I'm drawn, like I want to ask them the tough questions that can help them. I want to figure it out. I want to talk through it with them. And and that's what it is, that desire to help that end goal of that person. Right. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. Again, you could talk questions of like, why do you think that way? Or maybe, Mm -hmm. I don't know, because I get conflicted again with the whole self-awareness thing of like, how much is you being good and how much is you trying to be Mm -hmm. virtuous or whatever, you know what I mean? That whole Mm -hmm. concept. Right. But, um, I appreciate that though. Like thinking about that, mm-hmm. that, that to me made a ton of sense, right? Of like mm-hmm. from the ethics and the good versus evil is looking at other people as though they have their own reality and that you're trying to help them to their end goal or, or, or to better themselves, right? Is really what it is. Mm-hmm. That, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. And that's what philosophy, again, I'll say it again. <laughs> yeah. That's what philosophy is all about. You know? Right. <laughs> it's, uh, I don't know. And it all ties in because you can see, right? So early on, like it, it felt, and I'm glad because you kind of like guided me more towards the ethics stuff too, mm-hmm. but it all ties in. Sure. You right. see, I keep going back to this, the metaphysics of, well, we don't, you know, do you know what's real? Right. Like that seems again, like you said, it didn't pull you in. Right. But it's all tied back to that. Sure. And until sure. you acknowledge that, that, it's, that it's very possible. And again, like the, the thought experiment goes too far. Like, it's mm-hmm. like, okay, come on now. We're not dreaming. Right. Although it is interesting. I'm glad I've had those dream experiences. Sure. Because <laughs> it's like, right. a, again, it's made me more skeptical of the fact that if I see reality. But I, I fail at it a lot. Like uh, um, when I've gone through bad periods, um, I stopped doing philosophy too, you know? Yeah. In a weird sort of way. Because I, I convince myself that I'm being a good person. Right. You know, you can do that so quickly. For sure. Yeah. And because everyone, that's, it's one of the things that... Uh, um, yeah, because I haven't taught since COVID, and I didn't realize how much. And I wonder about it. I wonder if like teaching for me was was my therapy. I'm sure. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean, like I was my students were like, not. It sounds bad. Right. I mean, no one will ever hire me again after yeah. saying that. <laughs> like I, I use yeah. my students as therapists. Right. But I mean, like they were. But I was their therapist too. Sure. Like and just like it, it focused my thoughts. And yeah. It forced me to, 
where I think maybe the, yeah, because I was thinking about it how, uh, uh, well, you could tell when you reached out, I was like, oh yeah, I'm always excited to talk philosophy. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> like to go back on that path. And lately I have been, and I've, and I've had to go back and cause we all have to do that. Um, but like apologizing. Yeah. God, I made a lot of mistakes lately. Right. <laughs> you know, and I don't know what I was doing. I, I wasn't thinking. I don't know. Sure. So I, right. uh, as, as I say that, that comes from not like yeah. you even saying like, Hey, what were you thinking abusing? Right? Like mm. I and everybody else has made a ton of mistakes, right? Mm. Like uh, you could go have any person in this building. And if they really told you the truth, they've made mm. equal or not even ranking them, but they made all kinds of mistakes. Right. Mm. Um, it's mm. true of everybody. Right. Mm. But I, I think it's just the endless goal of, how can mm. I be better and how can I work to be better? And, and, and for me, I think the desire and the draw is to like heal other people and other relationships. Mm. I don't know. That's, that's what I'm, I'm drawn towards. Like, again, I, I'm always drawn towards that. Like the father, son, the mother, daughter, the mother, father, the, the family members, mm. whatever else. There's just so, there, there's so much beauty. There's so much yeah. unbelievableness, but there's so much pain too. Mm. Um, but I'm coming up to the end of time that we have right now. Oh, okay. we, yeah, we yeah. should do a follow up soon, but I, I have one eventual. <laughs> How long has it been, by the way? Hour and fifty. Okay, I'm sorry. So, yeah. I'm glad you like switched because I was going to go on about the. Yeah, yeah I, I could talk about Descartes for well, that's whole class. Yeah. Right, right. So there's endless, endless things here. We should do a follow up <laughs> sometime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I've got, I've got a, one closing question. Unless you have anything else, right? No, now no, no. We, I, well, I have like a thousand things. Sure. Lord, you know. Right. One thing I just I, started. I didn't even talk about all the philosophers I want to talk about. Right. <laughs> Right. And, and I should have even, we should have scheduled a lot more time. Right. But one of the things I wanted to ask is like, can there be a thing like as a psychologist or as a, as a, uh, um, philosopher, right. And you talk about like empathy, sympathy, gratitude, mm. all these things. Is there, is there a thing where you can become like so knowledgeable about it all where it's hard for you to like truly be where like every instance you're trying to like, Hey, I'm going to be grateful. And, and you're like, it's such a technical thing. Like there's sometimes there's beauty in the non-technical and that kind of goes back to what I'm talking about of like removing yourself from the analytical part and just being right. Just being grateful versus like, I'm going to choose to be grateful or I'm going to think about being grateful right. Or, or also like, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. There's, there's just a question I have is like, is yeah. there, is there a point where you can be yes, too technical? I, yeah. Cause this, and this is an odd thing to say because I don't, I don't think you can function without, cause y- your beliefs are relayed through your actions. Sure. Like, you know, there's a biblical thing about how you know a tree by its fruit. Yeah. And so to say, like, I don't know what I believe, um, it doesn't mean I don't have beliefs. Mm-hmm. But the fact that I, and I got so good at it and I love it, it's one of my favorite things to do because I love this notion of empathy. It's something that I, I would spend a lot of time on in class talking about empathy. And because I think it's so powerful to do it. Mm-hmm. Is I got so good at it and practiced at it. And it's one of the things I do is, is like, when I would, because I, I taught so many various classes too, because it's cool when the community college first started, I had to teach like all the humanities. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so I got this broad experience of, always as like a philosopher, but I think teaching is philosophy. You know? Sure. But one of the things I, I, I was teaching a world um, religion section and uh, each time I would talk about a world religion, I would try to be that. Sure. And so I would convert myself to that religion as best I could. Mm-hmm. And I would try and I would write as if I was that way. I know that seems bizarre, but right. leading up to that week, that's my, like my class prep. <laughs> sure. Is I was, I wanted to be convinced that Islam was true. Right. And then I would come in and I would, and I, again, I, I know that sounds odd, like to, to someone who's a Muslim, like, no, you can't, but I really tried to empathize as much as I could mm-hmm. and then use the art. And I did the historical and I'm, you know, and the whole, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then, but then I would, then I would be convinced to some degree. It's weird how you kind of convince yourself that, oh, that, but then the next week would be Hinduism. Sure. <laughs> I do the same thing. Hmm. And then, but now I don't know what I believe. Sure. 
<laughs> I, mean, I don't know. Right. I can't tell you. If you were to ask me, like, uh, what is what what religion? I don't know. Right. And same thing with like Christianity. I and that the Christian one is really powerful for me because I grew up a Christian and mm -hmm. I'm still a Christian in the, in a sense, right? I mean, I, I guess you know. I, and but when I get into that one, that gets really intense for sure. me. And and then I believe that fully. But it's like I, I have to like almost like. I don't know. It's weird because I got so good at it. Mm -hmm. And same thing with these philosophers. I would do that every week. And I remember I had a few students compliment me on that and say, like, you really convinced me this philosopher is right. That's amazing. Like you, and then the next week you convinced me this next one is right. Right. And I'd say, well, it's because I like to encompass it's, I don't know. Hmm. And I love other people's ideas and I can be easily, pers I, you know, it, uh, like my, my, I'm easily persuaded if I think a good argument. I don't know if this is a good way to live. I'm, you know, sure. like you're, I, you're right. I don't know, but right. it's my chopping the wood. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's my chopping the wood. I love that. Yeah, yeah. This is it's and yeah. I think. And so I, yes, I think there's a little bit of danger. I yeah. I still recommend people do it. Right. Like, but because most people are going to treat it like I said, like a like a practice, mm -hmm. like the way their football coach does, where you're your own football coach and you're watching in a sense video of your life mm -hmm. and you're going through plays and like the playbook is kind of like your ethics. Right. And like use that you like think about utilitarianism. I think both of these work together well. Where you all three of them do. Yeah. Like I think that gives you a pretty good guideline of what a good life is. I think philosophers, they can't give you exact answers, but I think they gave you a pretty good framework how to think of goodness. Sure. Like think of those virtues, those those concepts. Think about people that you admire. Why do you admire them? What concepts come out from them? Right. What do they have and how do they do it? Right. And then also think like when it comes to actions or even habits I form. What are the benefits and, and downsides to it? What are the consequences of my actions to everyone in in how far this ripples out? Mm -hmm. But then that also that Kantian concept, right? Where I'm always going to remember that that person has his own world, that person has his own desires, and I'm not going to use a person as a tool only. Yeah. And that gives you, I think, a pretty good yeah. Uh, that part of what I do this for. I didn't mean to cut you off there, Ben, no, but part of what I do this for do. is, is to, for another hour <laughs> is to just learn right through, yeah. through hearing about you and we could talk about anything. And I, I just learned from it. But one of the biggest things I learned right now, just now is you talking about the other person and their will. And that like keeping that in mind, if you're, if you're acting in a way that keeps that at the forefront, then that, mm. that to me is a virtuous thing. And not that you need to define mm. that necessarily, but yeah, I, I struggle with even virtue. I talked about that earlier. And again, I do need to wrap yeah. this up soon. But, <laughs> I'm um, sorry. <laughs> I see a bunch of this stuff like on, yeah. on for example, on social media, like LinkedIn's and all this stuff. Uh, to me, it's all just like fake. A lot of it's so uh, fake. You know what I mean? Like I gave a homeless man a meal, but it, you did it for the sake that you could post it on here. Or yeah. uh, let me tell you this enlightening story on LinkedIn so that I could tell you guys how good of a person I am. Right? You know mm -hmm. what I mean? I Although it is that. a good society where that we do reward people for doing that kind of action. Sure. Yeah. And but yeah, so it is, does become though, because you know that yourself. Right. Because it does feel good, to, yeah. To, but if you're doing it just for that, I know if you're doing yeah. it just for that, and I think we have to catch ourselves. Mm -hmm. But I also think we have to forgive the people that do that. Sure. Because a lot of people don't get acknowledgement. Yeah. And what happens is, like, we all want to think we're good people, and there's a lot of people that are are in bad situations, they're they're in abusive situations, or they're lonely. Like loneliness is hard. Yeah. You know? And they just need some acknowledgement. And so social media becomes acknowledgement. Sure. It can seem weird to us because we're not in that spot. Right. And we don't need that. But maybe they just need someone to say, hey, you're a good person. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean, like maybe they don't have someone to ever tell them that. Sure. Sure. So I think we should even be understanding again. Yeah. Even try to understand even the most because it's weird how who becomes most despicable to us. And that person seems despicable. Right. But try to understand why they're doing it. Yeah. <laughs> even right. that same deal i get it yeah, like yeah. i have a uh, yeah. i totally understand yeah, it but yeah. i just but to be watch it in yourself right and that's the thing that's again where that you're doing an aristotelian thing mm. you're saying i'm looking at the world and i'm finding things that are bothering me why right make sure i'm not doing that that yeah. 
that's what it is because there's so many things like it's that notion that jesus talks about where he says you know make sure you take the log out of your before you criticize you mm-hmm. know take it out of your eye first sure you know you have your own you know same thing you know absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. Absolutely your own shortcomings. Yeah, right. For sure. Because we so we don't do that. Right. You know, it's very easy to see faults in other people all oh, yeah. the time. Right. Yeah. And sometimes, isn't it, they say like the ones that you can see the most, maybe that's a fault within yourself mm-hmm. or something to that effect, yeah. right? Isn't that a, maybe? Yeah. A, and that's what, yeah. the, that's what you're trying to control. Because right. I know you have to go. Yeah. But maybe this is a good way to, place to end it. Is that's where you can control. Because all this sort of stuff, once you realize this, you might say, what's the point of this? And again, there is definitely a reality out there. I'm mm-hmm. not saying there isn't, right? Sure. And that's kind of what science like kind of is kind of structuring that. But the fact that so much of it is subjective and so much of it is like depending on how you think of things is you can change that part. Sure. And that's where if, if any of you, if any of you kind of like this stuff, look up, you guys, Google Stoicism. I didn't get to talk about it, but Google it. You'll, it'll change your life. I have that book on my desk, Marcus Aurelius. <laughs> oh, you do? Awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. perfect. That's that concept. Sean McBride gave me a copy of it. Yeah. Oh, he the, did? Cool. Yeah. yeah. So that's yeah. what it is. It's that idea of like a... Um, of you can't you can't control um so you can't control like what reality is mm-hmm. but you can control the thoughts you have sure you can you can you can think about you can think about the concepts of the virtues and it changes the way you view the world right you have control over how you feel you have the control of the subjective part so the fact that reality is there's certainly reality out there but what you think is reality is so subjective it's sure. so much of you can one thing be depressing but it's so hopeful then right because you can then just by changing your thoughts, but just by changing the way the words you put in your mind, mm-hmm. a book, a conversation, a podcast, right. that means it can change your world. Yeah. That is cool as hell. You know? Right. right. <laughs> That's pretty cool stuff. You know? Yeah. But anyway, that, I know you got to go. No, I appreciate <laughs> it. That's a good way to close it out. Thanks for having a chat. Yeah. Well, let's do it again. Yeah. Yeah. That was good. <laughs> hey guys, thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have and you feel so inclined, share this podcast with your friends, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen, and give us some feedback with a review. Until next time, thank you.